you shortly, folks. Just getting a few bits sorted with you very soon. Shorty folks, just getting a few bits sorted with you very soon. And we'll be with you, shorty folks, just get.
here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com at the Can Project Podcast on Spreaker.com. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people? Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20-plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. You're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And I'm your project coordinator and co-host Shane McKay. And I'm the other project coordinator and co-host Christopher Sneed. And here at Can, we love to talk about open and inclusive nature and wellness. And we have a great show lined up for you today with Laurie Jones, the interim executive director of ME Action. Yeah, and they've got a great website. They're they're, they're an organisation that do absolutely invaluable work for uh, the MECFS community and we're delighted to have them on and you can find our website at meaction.net I'll just pull it up there for people to see it there um, and it's very comprehensive I was just looking at it there before we came on air and it's really really comprehensive um, and there'll be people who are who will see this show and, and maybe kind of not that familiar with MECFS and that's part of the reason we're, we're, we're doing this because it's, it's, it's a subject that really needs a lot more awareness in the global community and we're, we're starting to see it pick up but it's it's taken it's taken its time oh, yeah I yeah. mean recognition in this country is kind of slow co- was, was slow coming like you know yeah yeah and, and I mean it's it, it's only really now that some doctors are even kind of acknowledging it as a real condition yeah Long COVID kind of has a lot to do with that. We're going to, probably going to get into that a bit as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into symptoms and stuff, I suppose, during the show. But I'll just, just so you can have a quick look there. I mean, I wanted to read, where is it? Just a blurb here on their homepage is, our movement fights for recognition, education and research so that one day all people with ME and CFS will have support and access to compassionate and effective care. And that's just really, it really goes to the heart of it, Chris. Oh, yeah. 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 So sure. we, we have Laurie's bio there. I'll just read that out briefly before we invite her in. So Laurie has years of experience working in nonprofits and the arts. Prior to joining uh, hashtag ME Action Team, Laurie was the director of Impact for Unrest, uh, using the film to educate and advocate for those in the ME community. She has served as program director at Brave New Films, worked on the Why Poverty film campaign and fundraised 
for United Way of Metropolitan Chicago. She has a BA in Production Studies in Performing Arts from Clemson University and an MA in Applied Human Rights from the University of York. So that's pretty impressive stuff and we're absolutely delighted to invite Laurie on now if I get the right button right here. There we go. Hi, Laurie. Hi. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in and see us. Of course. And uh, I'm sure you, you, you must be uh, to your eyes getting ready now for Emmy Awareness uh, Week and Month in May. We are. We are so busy right now. We are planning a global event on the 12th that'll all be virtual, which is, which is lovely because anyone all over the world can come. And mm. we have a lot of trainings that we're doing this week, a tell your story training, a photography training, and lots of toolkits and lots of Lots of answering questions, so it's a pretty busy month. Yeah. What's the name of that event? Um, the Millions Missing event. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, great. And um, yeah, I love, I love like the scope of the work you're doing, and it's something that we kind of advocate on here and can is the importance of positive outlets. And when I got deeper into hearing the work that Emmy Action does, I was really, really encouraged to hear you run all all kinds of art. Was that you have an art salon kind of project and stuff like that? We do. There, um, this will be our third artist salon, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite events. We have people from all over the world present their art, whether it is visual art, poetry, music. We've had people break out in song, and I, I was stunned. I actually had to fight back tears because I was trying to facilitate the event. But we have a very talented community of people, and. Uh, people just being able to express themselves, whether it is their their grief or their joy or or what they find beautiful in the world through their art is magical. It's magical. So we're trying to do an artist salon twice a year just to make sure that enough people get to come. And we do it open mic style. So we don't really prioritize uh, anyone. It's whoever wants to come and, and share their art is welcome to do that. That's great. So like it's accessible and that's really important as well. Mm. Like. It is. And we do have folks with severe ME, which we'll get into a lot of the details about ME, I'm sure, later. But um, folks who have very severe ME, it's really hard for them to participate on Zoom. So we have found some ways to really focus on the severe community so people can submit their art early so that we can play videos or however is the best way to share what people give to us so that anybody, no matter how severe or well they feel, can, can share. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And it, I mean, it, there must be a lot of kind of job satisfaction in that when you do see kind of how that helps people. And I know from personal experience, I have ME for close to 20 years now. And um, I know like those boosts that you get, you know, when you when you feel like you're kind of uh, connecting with people because ME, you can at times you can kind of feel isolated and stuff that when you have that positive outlet, you know, and, and, and it's kind of a positive outlets are kind of funny as well, though, because I find myself anyway, you kind of have to keep a little bit of a balance because I get enthusiastic, you know, and it's like, OK, I got to remember to pace, too, though. So yeah. sometimes you do need a reminder on that. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, happens. Well, it, it makes sense. Do you get excited about what you're working on? But it does when you have these events, you get it just reminds you of the personal because it's so easy to get swept up in statistics and numbers and what report you have to get to whatever federal agency. So in all that matters, it matters because you're trying to get 
research dollars for Emmy and you're trying to get clinical care, but these artist ones just remind you of the personal. There are millions of individual people with lives and desires and fears and that matter. They're at the center of it all. So it, it does, it brings you home a bit. It brings, it brings you down to the ground and it just reminds you that that's, that's what you're working for. That's who you're working for. Yeah. And I actually kind of like myself now in the last year or so by kind of reaching out for myself into the ME community, uh, really kind of started to realize how underrated it is, like how much people with ME or disabilities in general actually have to offer the community. And I think it's, re- it's, it's, uh, we're missing out by, by not making things accessible like that. Because like you said, the, the talent and stuff you come across is actually incredible. And, um, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of strange correlations I, I came across as well between patients, not just to do with symptoms, but like kind of even personality and attitudes. And like I, I came across a lot of teachers, like, and I've done teaching and a lot of kind of artistic people as well. And, uh, lots of writers and things like that. Absolutely. So much so. And I agree with what you're saying. It's it's such a hard balance because on one hand, you want everything. You obviously want everything to be accessible because human beings deserve accessibility and everyone deserves to participate. And so sometimes I, uh, I hesitate talking about the exceptionalism of the ME community, but I do see it all the time. I see amazing artists and I see extraordinarily thoughtful human beings that the world is missing out on if they don't find a way to interact. And it is on the the world. It is on the society to make sure that everything is mm. accessible. And the pandemic has opened that up a bit. I mean, uh, everybody knows what Zoom is. Uh, you know, before we, we had a, we have a blue jeans account. That's what we mm. use for most of our meetings. And it would be so confusing pre pandemic to have people have a meeting that was online. And yeah. now everyone's used to it. So we just have to make sure it stays that way post pandemic so that it maintains this level of accessibility. But also I think more people have a bit of empathy as well for the isolation effect because that for, for most of the world it's their first taste of it really. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's a good point, Chris, because it it really was the first taste for so many people. And I, I really do hope that's true. I hope that people maintain that empathy and they they remember that some people still can't go back to normal, quote unquote, for their life. People are going back to work in restaurants and parties, all of this. I, I saw something similar, Laurie, as well. Like you're talking about like the, the way with Zoom and things. It was wonderful because uh, like the, the community, I kind of reached out to IMET. Um, they were running these like uh, Zoom meetings and stuff and it it gave me a chance to actually talk to other patients. I never had that chance before really, you know, and then, excuse me, I'm going to cough. <laughs> excuse me. Um, uh, like I, they, they'd be putting meetings on and I'd get the, the letter in, but a lot of times I'd be too tired to go. So, but being able to go to a Zoom meeting was like, yeah, no problem. I can do that. Even if I'm lying down, I can just listen in. And it's wonderful. And you're right. We do. We need to continue on that and, and, and to keep building on that because, and I think it's, it's useful to a lot of people, but for the ME community, um, it, it just, it helps, really does help to, to break that isolation. And, and that, that, that can be, uh, that, that's very, very important, I think. Absolutely. I think it is. And what I've learned too is that accessibility really works for everybody. 
there, there isn't a downside to being more accessible. So uh, it, it really works for everybody. I mean, um, I have a nine month old right now. And congratulations. Thank you so much. And I think about all the ways that I took for granted just uh, uh, what you can do or not do or, or how much sleep you're going to get in a night and still have <laughs> yeah. to you know, do things. And uh, so from just like from mothers, from caregivers, from people who have chronic illness, from uh, people who don't have transportation, for, there are so many reasons why things need to be more accessible. And so the chronic illness community was ahead of the game and we have a, the whole world has a lot to learn. Absolutely. From. That's, and I find that really inspiring, you know, it's, it's really encouraging and the same with the long COVID thing for people out there with long COVID who are like, Oh, this is so new. And like, do we, do we, how do we deal with this? It's like, well, guys, we do have some strategies that we, yeah. that might be helpful. Uh, so that's great. And again, that's like another, another area that, people with ME and who've been living with the condition and have learned different ways to cope and things like that. We have a lot to offer. We really have yeah. a lot to offer. So much so. And and if, if society responds as if this is a brand new thing, then, uh, oh, what a disservice. Like the, the ME community can offer so much to people with long COVID and the, and the world's response to long COVID, mm, yeah. but they have to be included in that response. Because, yeah. I mean, they've had decades and decades of, of knowledge that they can bring this moment. And so including them, listening to them is, it's crucial. Mm. Or, or we're just going to repeat history. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of the phrase teaching your grandmother to suck eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. There was a we're, so we're we're gonna I suppose we could take a kind of get into symptoms a bit and explain the condition a bit more for people who haven't heard or who, who have heard and want to learn a bit more. But there was a figure I saw on the website there. I'm trying to find of like actually how many people globally are affected um, with the condition, and that's that doesn't include their families because families and friends are affected also. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. But it's way up there. It's millions, isn't it? I can, I mean, it's I mean well, millions, millions mi missing. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's millions around the world. Um, I mean, and, and with long COVID, things are going to increase so dramatically. So the, the U.S. figure is pre-pandemic, it was 1.5 million people approximately. And now they're estimating that 5 to 7 million people in the United States will have ME as a result of long COVID. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, one of the old names for um, ME was uh, post-viral fatigue syndrome. That was one of the, you know, that's a defunct phrase now. And uh, I mean, you know, COVID being a virus, like, <laughs> you know. Well, and, you know, in some ways that's, you know, because uh, some people still get a chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. Some people mm. get a ME diagnosis. And then some people get post-viral fatigue uh, in that it won't it won't become chronic. It won't become mm. something that's long lasting. It will be short lived. And that's still something that's really important to study because, um, why some people's fatigue, pain, cognitive dysfunction improve and some people's don't will be really, really important to know. And there's so many factors. Um, so, uh, yeah. And but the names, the names are very interesting because I get a lot of feedback all the time of, Oh, you should include chronic fatigue syndrome or you shouldn't inc include chronic fatigue syndrome or, 
Um, but people are labeled so many different things by their clinicians. And so trying to make sure that everyone's included in the help and the resources and the community, hmm. it's a, it's a balance. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, I found, I found it like very confusing over the years, you know, cause yes. like my diagnosis, um, I, I, I had two doctors. I was, I was actually kind of, I should, I should probably say like, I was, I would consider myself very lucky in that I got what you could call early intervention in that I found a doctor very early on that recognized ME and knew how to treat it. Well, it's, he's like, he's, he's a, it's an East West clinic. So it's, he's, he's actually, um, he's, he's qualified. He's a cardiologist, but he, he, he practices Chinese medicine, Chinese herbal medicine and acupuncture and stuff like that. But he had treated people previously and he told me up front, he was like, look, I can't, I'm not going to be able to cure you, but I'll, I'll be able to help you manage the symptoms. And I got that really early on. And I think only for that, I think I would have, I was, I, I was, I was like, literally like by the day I was just going way, way down and down and down. And once I started up the treatment with him, it just kind of, it just, it, it, it stayed at a similar level, you know, and gradually I kind of built up some strength. And I've also heard like that doesn't work for everybody. So I'm not saying like, Hey, you know, that's the thing to go and do, but you, there is a bit of kind of I think fi- fi- finding finding whatever therapy it is you're you're trying I think the right therapist is so important you know somebody that's going to have a bit of empathy towards you is really important and um, because we hear so many sad stories of people who got the wrong diagnosis and ended up on wrong medication and exactly I mean your story is a is a wonderful one because. And anecdotally, you hear it from people too, that early intervention matters. I'm, I mean, over and over again, people who get the right um, support and, and that starts with belief, understanding, acknowledgement, encouragement to pace from the onset. If that happens right away, um, you know, anecdotally, we hear that outcomes, it really affects outcomes. Yeah. So I think your story matters so much. Hmm. Like part of it would be that the standard response to the, a lot of the symptoms of ME, like a lot of people go, I'll drink another coffee. That'll give me the energy to go. And you're just burning up an already used supply of energy. You know, you're, you're pushing yourself further and further along the track. Like, Yeah, you really are. And, you know, that's a, that's a societal issue too, because we're, there's so much pressure to perform, to push, to, yeah. to make sure you go to work, to make sure that, I mean, there's, there's so much that we don't have this culture. And, and again, I think that's changing in a good way of mm. if you feel sick, stay home. And I mean, it's, it's a lot of the result of how we're responding to the pandemic, but I think that's right. I think people feel like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm tired, but it's on me to push forward and it's the most damaging thing you could do. And Absolutely. again, it's not for anybody. Yeah. And and up until recently as well, I, 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 you're pro- it's probably something you're aware of, but I think it was the the nice or the nice guidelines that got updated here recently. And up until then, like th- that was like one of their go- the go to recommendations was go and get a load of exercise. And like we know, like that's like not the right treatment at all. And in a lot of cases, it makes people much sicker. Much um, sicker. I yeah. mean, and I will say it's people with ME that made sure those guidelines were reversed. Mm -hmm. The volunteers that I have seen in the UK, the activists, so many different organizations that joined forces, ME Action UK did a lot of work on the ground. And 
it took a long time, but it was with so many people saying this was a terrible, awful experience for me. I did worse. And I'm so grateful that the NICE guideline got re- got reversed and that graded exercise mm-hmm. therapy is no longer recommended. Yeah, it wasn't too nice at all. <laughs> yeah. It was not nice. Yeah. I think the I think the UK volunteers uh, went with like yeah, uh, nice one, nice after the uh, after they reversed it. Yeah, and yeah, and there was a bit of a delay as well, right right at the last minute. There was a whole drama. It was like a soap opera. I didn't know what was going on, and we were. We were covering it, and we were like, we're like, oh, we better just hold our horses a little bit and just wait. Well, let's wait until all is said and done till we get into it too much. But I'd love, Laurie, I suppose before we could get really more into the into the condition and all that kind of stuff, it'd be great for the audience to know a bit more about the history of ME Action and how it got founded and things like that. So, could you fill us in a bit on that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we're still a pretty young organization. So in 2015. Beth Mazur and Jennifer Brea met online and they had been working on a variety of things. Uh, Jen was working on unrest at the moment with her film unrest and, uh, and Beth, was really working in a lot of uh, tech spaces, science spaces. And they were realizing that there was this gap in terms of patient mobilization, having enough people to be able to come together to, uh, to do work themselves, to join forces, to connect. And so that's where the network came in, in the Action Network. And so they started, and at the very beginning, it was just a website. And now we have grown to a full-time staff, a robust volunteer team. Uh, we're working on the ground in the U.S. and in the U.K., and we connect with countries all over the world. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, there's, yeah, so we mentioned it earlier, but there's the, the ME Awareness Day, which is the 14th, is that right? Thursday? The 12th, it's, it's, sorry. Th- Thursday, the 12th of May is International ME Awareness Day. And I don't know, I, I don't know if there's any protests happening around that day. There might be in, in, in Dublin, but um, I came across uh, ME Action uh, myself in, in Dublin and um, it was great like to raise awareness they did a protest outside the doll and the 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 main part of the demonstration was there, there weren't many patients there I was there I was one of the patients who could manage to be there in person but so it was a lot of family members or friends that would show up on patients behalf so the visual kind of thing they did as part of the demonstration is to have just shoes and that's the idea that they're, they're, these are these are real people, even though we don't see them, they're real people mm. and and they can't be here, but their shoes are here. And I just that really struck me as a very appropriate um, way to convey the, the, the message. I love that that was your experience. That's it's wonderful. And I think that we've had so many people all around the world come to protests like that and have that have that experience. And it was a, it's a good way to raise awareness and demand equity from our governments. For May, most um, there are some global protests that are happening. I know um, I know France is doing a big protest. There's something in Norway. Um, in the United States and in the UK, we are doing um, a virtual global protest in May, but then in September, we're doing in-person protests. All right. So the hope is that by September, it will be, we hope, easier and safer to travel mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also that 
there's so much going on in May in a good way. There are so many organizations that are doing work around Emmy Awareness Day, May 12th. And so we wanted Millions Missing to be complementary to all of that work, not not get in the way of it. We want to make sure we can uplift all the... Make an umbrella. Like an umbrella, exactly. And so on in September, we'll be really taking taking to the streets. And there'll, of course, always be an accessible virtual component. So we're moving away from the shoe imagery. Um, and we're this year, we're embracing uh, this this concept that we are all connected. So um, basically through a, through a common thread. And so this, uh, this idea that there are so many different complex chronic conditions that are under-researched, under-resourced, that need certain things from the government. Most importantly, research funding, treatments, and medical education, but also all the other parts of society where it's workplace accommodations, access to uh, disability, access to uh, to a doctor in your area, whether you are rural, whether you're from the BIPOC community, the people that really do not have the right access to care. And so we're Thinking that, especially joining forces with those that are newly diagnosed, whether they just got ME after having long COVID or they just have a long COVID diagnosis or they have another complex chronic condition, making sure that the ME community is opening up this millions missing to say, join us. Now, it still centers people with ME at the forefront, but making sure that it it is a bigger uh, it's a bigger space, and there are things that everybody needs with yeah. complex chronic conditions that we advocate for together. So that's that's more of the focus this year. Well, that's brilliant, Laurie. And um, it's funny because uh, you know when 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 we were starting up Can, it did kind of we were it was kind of coming from an ME place, and we kind of quickly realized, you know what, this is actually for everybody. It's not actually just mm. for ME. So our kind of tagline here is like, help each other, help us all. And No, oh, I love that. Yeah, so what you're saying really, really resonates with us. It's, 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 it, I t- and I, t- I do think that's it really is the right approach. And because, we, you know, we, we are all human and there, there are things that we do all need. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right. Like those same problems that the ME community faces, there's lots of other chronic conditions or di- different people who are, who are marginalized for one reason or another who mm. needs who need access to services and support. And like we were saying, have so much to offer. And a lot of times people who have kind of had to kind of go through some stuff and kind of manage to come out of it a bit, you know, they, they really have some important stuff that needs to be listened to. Absolutely. Truly. And, you know, the balance here, the balance with uh, widening the, the, the umbrella um, is that you just want to make sure that the people that you're serving, that people with ME know that they're at the center and that they're not going to be forgotten. And so that's ME Action's promise. Well, that's great as well, because so, that is important, because I think that is a big fear, fear that was amplified with the long COVID thing. Course. Yeah, because I know on, on the one hand, people are like, oh, maybe this is going to help. But then there's the other fear of like, it's going to overshadow everything and it's yeah. going to be another, you know. It'll push Emmy into the corner and take over. Like, exactly. Know? And it's a, it's a very legitimate fear. And so, I mean, I will say that we've had an amazing experience working with long COVID advocates that have really made sure 
to prioritize the history of ME and people with ME and making sure that they're they're not left out of conversations. But there's a lot of work to do to make sure that the government response of all of our governments all all over the world are actually including ME in that response. Uh, because otherwise it ignores everything we know to be true. I mean, 80% of people with ME yeah. are post-infectious. So it's, you know, people had long mono or long, uh, you know. Uh, Epstein-Barr is another one out there. Epstein-Barr, yeah. yeah. So like the, yeah. the, this has happened over and over and over again in history. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that the that the response really, really includes people with ME. And it matters. It helps people with long COVID and it helps people with ME uh, because, I mean, if you can go into something knowing so much more context, so much more history, you have so much more data. Yeah. Uh, imagine what you can do from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And that's the first show with Impact producer Laurie Jones with ME Action. And you'll find a link to the second part in the description. And we I was absolute pleasure talking to Laurie. We've got into some really, really important stuff there. And I highly recommend that people go and check out meaction.net. ME Action have organized a global virtual event. And I highly recommend that people go and check that out. There's still time to sign up for that. I'm going to go. It's going, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what's going to be said there. For people who are watching this, the video at the moment, uh, it's on screen and it promises to be a very insightful event. So if you'd like to go to that, you can go to meaction.net forward slash event forward slash millions missing dash global dash virtual dash events. And that, again, that'll be on May 12th from between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. PDT. So that's States time. I'm not sure exactly what time. They've got a whole host of speakers lined up. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Again. And check out Emmy Action's May 12th global virtual event. Okay, Laurie Jones, listen, thank you so much and uh, on a personal level as well, thanks so much for everything you're doing for the community and it's an absolute inspiration and I'm really encouraged to see that things are got, are continuing to go in a very, very positive direction. So thank you so much. Thank you both and thanks for such a lovely show and yeah, for great. Sure. You're welcome. We, we loved having you. you know? Yeah, more than welcome. Okay, Laurie, listen, thanks so much and yeah, give us a shout anytime, okay? Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Do stick around for part two with Laurie Jones of Emmy Action. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. And the next big event to keep an eye on, it's coming up on the 19th of September, this coming, this coming Monday, Emmy Action are hosting a protest outside the White House in the USA, and we really need to keep an eye on what's going on over there.
Please do show Can some support project, and check out arts, nature and Emmy action. That active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact Can Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. Come up next, part two, with Laurie Jones for some more Emmy awareness. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue and sometimes a bit of literature as well. So Chris, we're going to, we're, we're opening up a new chapter in the readings, the classic stories for Chris Needs. Yeah, we're going to be starting on The Time Machine, which is a classic, classic H.G. Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love it. It's been made into a film a few times and uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas. Chris Snead, Classic Readings. And now for part two with Laurie Jones, ME Action. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com at the Can Projects Podcast on Spreaker.com. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people? Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20-plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. You're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And I'm your project coordinator and co-host Shane McKay. And I'm the other project coordinator and co-host Christopher Sneed. And here at Can, we love to talk about open and inclusive dialogue. We have a great show lined up for you, t- for you today with Laurie Jones, the interim executive director of ME Action. Yeah, and they've got a great website. They're, they're, they're an organisation that do absolutely invaluable work for uh, the MECFS community and we're delighted to have them on and you can find our website at meaction.net I'll just pull it up there for people to see it there um, and it's very comprehensive I was just looking at it there before we came on air and it's really really comprehensive um, and there'll be people who are who will see this show and, and maybe kind of not that familiar with MECFS and that's part of the reason we're, we're, we're doing this because it's, it's, it's a subject that really needs 
a lot more awareness in the global community and we're, we're starting to see a pick up, but it's, it's taken, it's taken its time. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, recognition in this country is kind of slow, co- was, was slow coming, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it, it's only really now that some doctors are even kind of acknowledging it as a real condition. Yeah. Long COVID kind of has a lot to do with that. We're going to, probably going to get into that a bit as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into symptoms and stuff, I suppose, during the show, but I'll just, just so you can have a quick look there. I mean, I wanted to read, where is it? Just the blurb here on their homepage is, our movement fights for recognition, education and research so that one day all people with ME and CFS will have support and access to compassionate and effective care. And that's just really, it really goes to the heart of it, Chris. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. So we we have Laurie's bio there. I'll just read that out briefly before we invite her in. So Laurie has years of experience working in nonprofits and the arts. Prior to joining uh, Hashtag ME Action Team, Laurie was the director of Impact for Unrest, uh, using the film to educate and advocate for those in the ME community. She has served as program director at Brave New Films, worked on the Why Poverty film campaign, and fundraised for United Way of Metropolitan Chicago. She has a BA in Production Studies in Performing Arts from Clemson University and an MA in Applied Human Rights from the University of York. So that's pretty impressive stuff, and we're Mm. absolutely delighted to invite Laurie on now, if I get the right button right here. There we go. Hi, Laurie. Hi. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in and see us. Of course. And uh, I'm sure you you, you must be uh, to your eyes getting ready now for Emmy Awareness uh, Week and Month in May. We are. We are so busy right now. Laurie, are you there since nearly the beginning? Then, like, if you can't, did you come? Did you come from like unrest straight to Emmy action? I did. So my my background is in impact producing, and I. I was telling you a little bit before the show that I I grew up around a lot of uh, autoimmune illnesses in my family, my extended family, and so I knew that world well. My my dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. Um, I have a chronic pain condition. I know chronic illness, but I did not know any. And I when I I got hired for the film because of my impact background, but I I applied because all the themes that Jen was talking about in her Ted talk, I was like, Oh my gosh, I know these themes. I know, I know what this, I mean, I know getting dismissed. I know my family members being dismissed and I applied for the, for the job with unrest and I'm so grateful to get it. And then I realized that if I didn't know what Emmy was, someone that had a fairly personal background with chronic illness that had parents in the medical space, if I didn't know, then most of the world probably didn't know because uh, it wasn't being talked about in bigger spaces. And so I, A, just fell in love with the community. I fell in love with everybody. And I was absolutely devastated that they weren't getting the attention they deserved and the care they deserved. And so I never left. And so luckily, after the film was over there, I was able to... um, to work as the managing director at Emmy Action, um, and while Jen was the executive director, and we worked hand in hand, and I, yeah, it's it's become a second home. I I can't 
imagine my life trajectory if I just went to work for another film. Uh, and I absolutely thought that's what I was going to do. I had no idea I was just going to to stay it in the action. But we have a lot of work to do, and I don't intend to leave until we we, we do it. Mm, that's great. And if if people would like to check out uh, Unrest, Laurie, where where'd be the best place for them to go and do that? I was trying to think about Ireland and the UK. I think that it's on Netflix most places still, okay, and okay. you can order it on Amazon. And um, Emmy Action, if you uh, Unrest has given Emmy Action a community screening license, so if folks ever want to uh, do a virtual community screening, you can contact Emmy Action, and we can arrange that so that if you want to show it to your family members, uh, a lot of times Unrest is a really good way for people who don't know what Emmy is. Or, or they're not getting full recognition from their family to show them the film. Mm. It's a good way in. So we can help you arrange that. Yeah, that's that's kind of setting off a few cogs in my head here now, Shane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but that's great. And you bring, you just that, what you mentioned there, that, that that's something uh, that we, unfortunately we do see uh, is quite common for some patients that um, it, it's hard, not only is it hard to get recognition from doctors and the medical community, but sometimes from families or friends and things. And um, it can be, it's really harrowing actually to see when somebody's already kind of, kind of dealing with a big change in their life, that their family are, are kind of having a hard time to come to grips with it. And, are, you know, it's that, oh, would you just pull yourself together, go for a run or this kind exactly. of thing and that's that, 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 that's that's for me is like one of the really big parts of the mission as far as raising awareness with me is the kind of i mean like we got to remember as well there was a time when like things like uh uh, uh what's that one uh epilepsy what wasn't understood you know yeah. wasn't so, recognized as well like yeah i thought it was psychosomatic just like i mean just like people thought me was people thought ms was psychosomatic until the um the brain scans showed yeah. up. And yeah. so, I mean, again, sure. yeah, science is going to laugh in the face of all of this um, later down the road. But in, but in the meantime, people are really suffering and they yeah. suffer when their families don't acknowledge what like, they're going through. Like I have a condition that's not actually recognized really in a lot of places myself. And uh, it's a bit of hardship really like, you know, it is, it's a hardship. And, I'm sorry to hear that too. Yeah. It, it is. Um, it really is. Mm. And so, co- yeah, coping with that, you know, it's, it, on one hand, it's like people are exhausted with the idea that we just need recognition because recognition in and of itself isn't enough. But it does start with recognition. Mm. So belief, acknowledgement, recognition. But of course, we need the urgent other pieces at the exact same time. So, I mean, because you need that immediate government response, you need that research funding, you need treatment options. Uh, any, you know, the idea that, you know, you went to the doctor and they were able to say, well, we're going to help you manage your, your symptoms is amazing. Uh, and, but we need so much more of that. We need access to clinical care where people know, know how to respond and especially yeah. encouraging people how to pace. It's quite urgent, actually, and like especially like with the long COVID thing, like uh, <clears throat> that was on my radar like really early, like that. It, 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 there were one or two mentions of it in the news that like, okay, look, things are, you know, we got to deal with this pandemic, but chances are when we come out of the pandemic, there's going to be an absolute explosion of post-viral illness and um, 
you know, and they're, they're kind of like dancing around the terminology a little bit, but it is kind of, started, it seems like it's starting to kind of, like, one thing I noticed, the, 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 the issue of funding, like, I know that's been, like, especially through the pandemic, there's there are groups have been trying to work out how do we, how do we do this? You know, how do we, how do we, how do we further the mission? And like, how do we, how do we raise funds and stuff? And I did see a large sum there, um, uh, so I should have, I should actually kept it for the notes. Um, but I don't know, Laurie, are you saying much, are you starting to see like much more, um, interest as far as like, you know, resources for the medical community, um, as far as funding and things like that? Yes and no. So, um, so yes, in that there is definitely long COVID funding happening and that's a very good thing. Um, and pri- private funding. So I don't know if you know the Open Medicine Foundation. You might know Open Medicine Foundation, but they're a great organization. Um, that might be the that might be the one I actually saw. Actually, um... they are wonderful, and, and they're they're looking in between long COVID and ME, and uh, and we we always love uh, partnering with them, amplifying their work. Um, the other. There are other medical education initiatives happening, and there's a lot of work to advocate with the government to make sure that some, that some of that long COVID research funding includes people with ME. And also from the clinical perspective, there are long COVID clinics um, being set up all over. So I know our I know our UK volunteers have talked about the long COVID clinics in the UK, and um, a lot of the patient community is really trying to rapidly educate the long COVID clinics on their experience to that, that the mm-hmm. ME experience so that they understand uh, treatment options and outcomes. <laughs> and um, use you as a community-based research. So you probably have a massive info dump for those sorts of things. Like, um, you know, we have one, we have not done a lot of research. I'll say this. So our very first research project is uh, this, uh, chronic illness symptom survey and where we are collecting information mm-hmm. across different chronic illnesses. So ME specifically, but long COVID and other comorbid conditions, because as you know, a lot of people with ME also have other comorbid mm-hmm. conditions. A lot of times people have POTS or another dysautonomia. Or fibromyalgia or yeah. There's an overlap and, yeah. and we don't know why, but in fact, you know, getting more data means that it'll it'll help us understand those connections a little bit better, sort of going back to that big, mm. big millions missing theme as well. And so um, because we are set up as such a wide uh, community, because we have so many people in our Facebook groups, on our email list, in our, in our network that is constantly talking to us, we felt like we were able to do some community-based research where we were able to do surveys of folks. And it's been great the amount of people we've had participate in that study. And it's still ongoing. So um, we're just launching the third part of the survey, but you can start at the beginning even now. So anybody can get involved. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, so we uh, you, you mentioned some of the stuff that's coming up in May, but like what kind of like say between now and the end of next year is there like are you do you, do you take on volunteer you do take on volunteers and things like that do you we do and um actually that's the the perfect segue to something I'm incredibly excited about so we got a 
we got a great grant to uh, from the Ford Foundation to increase our volunteer capacity. And so we've it's been so busy during the pandemic trying to make sure that we make sure that, that Emmy is featured in the press, that we have clinical education seminars, that we work with the long COVID community. So so many pieces that we have not done the the training that we would have loved to had provided for volunteers. And now we have the opportunity to do that. So we're bringing two really cool activists, educators, trainers on board to help train new volunteers and make sure that they are in a, uh, in a role that they want to be in that suits their skills, that they're motivated to do, to, to help with the cause. And so it's um, just so exciting because it means that so many more people can get involved and they'll be, um, they'll be nurtured in a way so mm-hmm. that they can, they can do what they want to do and they can be a part of the movement in the way that they want to be. And um, so I'm just so excited for the fact that we're going to be able to increase the amount of volunteers that, that and, we can serve. And that sounds like a really, really good way to, to deal with people because there's so many people don't get put in the role that suits them. Yes. You know, oh, absolutely. Um, and when you're so busy, when everyone's so busy, it's like, you know, there's so much work to be done and everyone's just scrambling. But if you can really, um, going back to this talent that we were talking about earlier, this, you know, extreme talent that I see every day, mm. it, you, you want people to feel passionate and to let their skills shine. Mm. So, because this is a cause so we all believe in. And so putting people in the places that are going to serve them best is, is going to be the best way to, to reach our goals. And I know, like, personally, as a patient, I know, like, the, the importance of that, of actually feeling that there's something you can contribute to is huge. It's really, really big, you know. And I think, it for me, it was probably some of the, the best things I could have done for myself was to find, like you're saying, the right, what's the right thing for me to do, you know. Because uh, there's the things I'd like to do, but what's actually really, what would be appropriate. Um, so that's actually great to hear. There's going to be a whole actual system to... um to deal with that it's so exciting and um we're hoping to launch um officially we'll be building up but in september after our big protest we will be launching a website so that it's really easy for people to we'll be a page on our website for people Mm -hmm. to be able to fill out forms and uh click on videos and make sure that it's you figure out what area of work really really speaks to them the most and, you know, so, it's like our governments could really, really learn a lot from that as well, actually, you know, as far as, you know, people are useful. So, like, you know, um, and it, 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 that occurred to me as well, actually, just uh, with the medical kids, it's, it's kind of, it's ironic, you know, like that, you know, just having, having, having been kind of gaslit or whatever for so many years and now like it turns out well actually we have a lot to offer actually <laughs> and you kind of need us now <laughs> so they can't really ignore it at all anymore um and it's 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 funny because it for me it, it, I, i'm not sure i don't i wouldn't know the ins and outs in the states and things like that i have a rough idea but i know in ireland anyway for a long time before the pandemic the public health service was really hanging on by an absolute tread and um all it was going to take was something like a global pandemic to just like throw a, throw a total spanner in the works yeah. and um, but I think the the subject of ME and how the story of ME and the medical community 
there's a lot to be learned there and a lot of very, yes. very important things because it just highlights where are the actual, where are, the, where are people falling through the cracks? Exactly. I mean, and that is true. You know, our healthcare systems are, are so different and there are cracks both places and there are different problems yeah. uh, each places. Um, and it's, it's been interesting to see some of that uh, as, as I've been working in the UK, learned from some more people in Canada and then, of course, the United States. Um, and I will say the thing that I have learned a lot over the past uh, two years. Can you believe we've been in this for two years? Um, uh, is the, there are so many clinicians that absolutely want to do the right thing. They just don't know the right thing and they don't have the access and they don't have the tools. Uh, pre-pandemic, one of our board members, uh, Ryan Pryor, who who's uh, writing a book uh, about uh, long COVID, he was telling me that 6% of medical schools in the state taught ME CFS before the pandemic, 6%. Uh, so nobody, I mean, uh, it's, it's so rare that you would have encountered that type of education. So you have well-meaning, thoughtful, smart doctors that don't know how to help you. And so part of our job is helping doctors get the information they need so that they can be most effective because at, at and there's so much pressure because I, again, I don't, I don't know how it is in Ireland, but doctors that face are often pressured to see you in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. so you have to come in, you get very little time. You have a 15 minute workup and they have to diagnose you and leave. Well, how are they going to do that with something as complicated? Exactly. And plus, if you're kind of having a bit like a bit, a, a bit of brain fog or something like that, like it, like when I go into these consultations and stuff, I have to have a notes with me, you know? Yeah. And they don't always like that. But I'll tell you one thing, the difference now when I'm going for a consultation compared to before the pandemic, they are writing down everything I say now. I love it. Yeah. Hearing. Yeah. Why do, you, why do you, what do you think the difference is? I think just they've realized, you know, oh, oh actually, maybe there's something to this. And then just with the, in the backdrop of long COVID and everything, you know, they won't come out and, and, and kind of say, oh, yeah, isn't that, that kind of sounds a little bit like long COVID or whatever. And um, I mean, there's things with long COVID that are obviously, I mean, I know some people at ME get chest problems, like the chest thing is something that like with long COVID is, is like, you know. It's part and parcel. Yeah, you know, but yeah. maybe not uncommon, but less common in ME. But there's so much of the stuff that's like they have in common. And one thing for me, I noticed I'm kind of early on, I was kind of, I kind of started to think myself before anyone was saying anything was like, there, there were two things was the, I felt like as if my immune system was kind of almost over, over, overactive, which that's kind of what they're saying. And then, yeah. uh, uh, inflammation was another like key thing in the whole thing where I was I used to confuse me I was like why is like one day this arm is sore and then it feels like it's moving up my back and then it's gone and it, it, it just it was kind of like very kind of scary to be honest as well like when when when, when you, you know this is happening to you and you're afraid if you tell your doctor they're gonna look at you like uh, uh, you know and like just really well, question ha there, there has been a lot of people have been told that like you know they're being hypochondriacs or, yeah. you know, yeah, and in some cases that has been referred to mental health services as opposed to treated. <laughs> yeah. It's an absolute yeah. travesty. Like it is a travesty and, and all the way around, you know, it, the mental health piece is such a personal, uh, uh, passion is the wrong word, but I am so passionate about the mental health piece mm. because, uh, 
I hate the idea that there's so much stigma where people are misdiagnosed. They're misdiagnosed with a mental health uh, condition and then referred to mental health. And so then when people really, people with ME or people with other complex chronic conditions do have mental health concerns, they are too afraid to say anything because they're going to be misdiagnosed again. And so then it's a, it's a double problem. It's this misdiagnosis at the top, but then there's an under service for people that really do need access to care. It's like mental health is, is it's real. If you have a mental health condition, it's a very real condition. It's just not, it's not what ME is. And so that makes it such a problem. So I, I see it a lot because I, and I understand why, because it's so stigmatized and people don't want to be misdiagnosed, but I worry that people aren't getting the access that they need. If they are depressed on top of their ME, then they, you know, they deserve that access as well. So it's, it's, it's a really tricky, awful thing um, that this misdiagnosis happens because it, it trickles down to be a, a much bigger problem. Yeah, well, it's just it's it's kind of like it distracts from like the like where you need to focus on as far as your your you know your healing or or your therapy or whatever. And um, you're right. Like I mean, like we we talk about mental health and wellness, and we really like we we like the idea of holistic health and a a holistic approach to our environment and our and our well being. And um, we talk about it a lot on here. Um, But yeah, uh, what was I going to say now? I got a bit of brain fog there. Um, oh, I've lost my train of thought there now. No worries. I got us off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's good. No, no, like, we this do is, tangents here. Yeah, yeah, we do. But no, it's an, it's an important thing. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've said it before on here. You know, it's like, you know, like not being able to do things you'd like to do or being in chronic pain or having to get a lot of bed rest and things like that, it does bring you down. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you might like have clinical depression, but you, you may be depressed. So it is, it's very confusing because, you know, like if you're misdiagnosed, how, where do you even start? Like, and people just, you know. And there's the whole brain body connection involved there as well, because if it's making you depressed, the depression can actually make your symptoms worse. Yeah. It can, yeah. I mean, yeah. mental health yeah. exacerbate your symptoms, which is, uh, you know, which is complicated, and it will present in a complicated way. Um, but if you're to your point earlier, Chris, of if the diagnosis is right at the beginning, if um, because again, it's like it's just like if you come in with a broken arm and someone says, "Oh, we're going to put a cast on your leg," well, that's not going to help my arm. So, <laughs> And it is as simple as that. It like it's just incorrect. And so, um, it, but it, it really bumps me out because also you can, I mean, 25% of the general population has uh, some type of mental health issue. And so that's, there's going to be some overlap. So the idea that, I mean, I just want doctors to also acknowledge there can think, you know, this is not mutually ex- exclusive. Hmm. You can have two things, you know, you can have your arm and your leg can be broken. Uh, you know, and so it's a, but it is such a fine line and it's so difficult to navigate when you're being misdiagnosed and gaslit, like you were saying before, yeah. um, that the gaslighting of, uh, you know, we've had, I've heard so many horror stories of, um, oh, have you tried to, go for a little walk have you you know the uh yeah and, and it's i hear it's i hear it, i hear it so often you know where it's like and i feel it myself sometimes to be honest as well um where patients kind of feel and i, I don't i don't 
you know, I don't blame anybody for this, really, you know, but that sometimes I feel like it's being put back on me that it's like, mm. well, it's your fault you're sick, like, you know, and that's, I hear that from so many patients, you know, and it's very, very sad, actually, you know, that for, for, for when somebody's suffering like that and, and they're trying to work it all out to just to have that on top of it as well, it's like, it is incredibly complicated and, you know, for people out there who who are maybe hearing about this stuff for the first time, you know, take it on board and, um, I think it's worth pointing out as well, you know, that there's lots of disabilities out there and most of them are not visible. You no. don't always know somebody. So I think the rule of thumb is, you know, just be nice to each other anyway, <laughs> you know, just look out for each other. Yes, believe people when they say they're experiencing symptoms and yeah, absolutely um, show that kindness to each other. And the blame, the blame issue is a real problem. Yeah. And, um, you know, someone was uh, I've heard so many different arguments uh, for this, and I do think it's right. Where it's like we don't have the answers to something. It, uh, for human beings, it's so scary for us because we think, oh, well, it could happen. If it's not their fault, then it could happen to anybody. It could happen to me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's such a sad. Um, it's just it's such a sad reason. Mm-hmm. But of course, the idea that it's it's your fault is ridiculous. Uh, and, and we just can't do that to each other for anything. It's for, for any chronic condition. It is, it, it's, it's no one's fault. And that's another thing to take away. Like if for people that are, are just hearing about this for the first time, or they felt blamed for something that they've experienced physically, it's, it, it is, it is not your doing like, uh, and w- there's so many mysteries about what's happening to the body, uh, when it comes to ME and it's, uh, that that mystery doesn't have to mean that like just because we don't have answers now doesn't mean that we won't have them later and it, it you know most certainly isn't your fault hmm. yeah that's it you know and i mean even biology is an ever-evolving science like you know because yeah. they're constantly discovering new things constantly yeah. yes Yes, constantly, constantly. So, I mean, I would love to hear, I mean, I would love uh, to hear from both of you. I don't know if you have things that you're hopeful for coming out of with long COVID, with ME, with the pandemic. I would love to know yeah. what, what you two are hopeful for. Yeah. So, start, Chris? Okay, well, paper, scissors, rock for it, will we? Okay. Nice. Okay. Ready? One, two, two. Try. Uh, <laughs> all right, you go first or I'll go first. Okay. okay, okay. I'm hopeful that there'll be a lot of lessons learned from COVID. That people will, like, you know, before COVID, very few people would look each other in the eyes when they're walking past each other and just nod and smile. And people have started doing that again. Like, that's something that we've lost and has been gone for a good long time in our kind of, in Ireland, you know, specifically from my experience. And people are just treating treating each other with a little bit more decency, and I hope that lasts. You know, I hope they don't for, like don't stop being appreciative of the fact that they can actually look each other in the eyes again. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah stepped on Shane's toes. Is <laughs> <laughs> that your answer? Did you write that down? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I, I can just see the eyes twitching there, going, kind of going, all oh, right, I have to come up with something now. <laughs> No, I I think for me, Laurie, um, probably similar to what Chris is saying there. Like, I'm 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 encouraged 
to see a sense of community coming back, you know, and um, I'm really, that's why I'm thrilled to see like the work that ME Action is doing is that ultimately it is, it's actually kind of building a community of people who are empathetic to each other and trying to lift each other up and lean on each other. And I hope, I think COVID has kind of amplified that a bit, but I'm also quite aware that there's also a lot of healing that has to take place. There's been a lot of trauma and stuff like that. So my hope is that, you know, that we did, that we come out as a society with a bit more empathy and, 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 and supporting each other more because we really need to do that now, you know, and, and especially for the people who are vulnerable and are, are, re, have, are really marginalized right now. We need to go to those people and ask them, Hey, are you okay? And maybe ask ourselves as well, am I okay? You know, and so that, I think that's my, my COVID wish, my post pandemic wish is that we can, we can, we can kind of, continue with this, this 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 kind of caring and we become a more caring society i love that i love that well i'm going to take that as my pandemic wish too because i think that's uh, i think that's 100 percent right uh, I, and i just hope there's a there's more converts out there that are dedicated yeah. to making sure that that happens so that if society begins to slip that there's enough people that are ready to say now please we found a more accessible way and a more inclusive way. And we're, that's what we're sticking to. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. And so it, it, this, this is absolutely flown in, Laurie. We're, we're coming close to the, the hour mm-hmm. mark, but is there anything you kind of, you'd like to leave us with or get into, or um, I suppose we can let people mention again that the, the website is meaction.net. And if, if, if people can reach you through there, Laurie, if they need they absolutely can. And they can email us at info, I-N-F-O at meaction.net. And it'll be forwarded to the right person for your question. And, and when that new website comes online, you should send us the links to it and all so that we can or even pop on for another chat. Like, Yeah, yeah. listen, you'd be, you'd be more than welcome to come back anytime. You feel very welcome to give us a shout anytime. And um, there'll be links in the description and all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll try and we'll we'll stick in the link to the website and see if we can find one or two other little little bits and pieces. But uh, any final thoughts, Laurie? Yeah, just a very final thoughts. If anyone is experiencing long COVID or ME, um, I want everyone to know that we have resources on the site. We have a pacing guide to help you know how to pace, and you can bring it to your doctor. We also have a hospital toolkit. So that if you have either of these conditions, you can fill out a um, piece of paper before you go to the hospital or doctor so that you have what you need ahead yep. of time. So I just want to make sure that people know that we have those sort of urgent key resources. And if you want to get involved in our community, we have a lot of of spaces to do that. We're going to have, like we said, even more volunteer capacity coming up. But there are so many support groups and and places to get involved just just that we'd love to have you yeah we love the grassroots approach here we just like that's the best way to move society forward is from you know people on the street kind of you know everyone absolutely and and i absolutely have learned so much from the community and i defer to people with any uh every single day of my work that it would not make sense for me to do otherwise so yeah it is about the people who who are experiencing this that's that who that's who it's about that's who we're fighting for and with 
Okay, Laurie Jones, listen, thank you so much and uh, on a personal level as well. Thanks so much for everything you're doing for the community and it's an absolute inspiration and I'm really encouraged to see that things are got, are continuing to go in a very, very positive direction. So thank you so much. Thank you both and thanks for such a lovely show and yeah, for creating. Sure. You're welcome. We, we loved having you. you know? You're more than welcome. Okay, Laurie, listen, thanks so much and yeah, give us a shout anytime, okay? Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Brilliant. Bye-bye. Brilliant. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com and you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. And please do check out meaction.net and please do follow the work coming up very important the 19th of September there will be hosting and organising a protest demonstration outside the White House please do check it out meaction.net Can Projects Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. Up next... Irish Arthur, Home Brunkard's Clementine Lane, you're in for Here a real can, treat. We like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue and sometimes a bit of literature as well. So Chris, we're gonna we're we're opening up a new chapter in the readings, the classic stories for Chris Needs. Yeah, we're gonna be starting on the Time Machine, which is a classic, classic HG Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love it. It's been made into a film a few times, and uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas. Chris Sneed, Classic Readings. Here at Cannes, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com, at the Cannes Projects podcast on Spreaker.com, or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com for as little as one euro a month plus fat. You can help contribute to the CAM project. We do need help, so check us out on either Patreon or Spreaker.com. Hello, 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 and you're all very welcome to the CAN Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And I'm your co-host and project coordinator, Shane McKay. And I'm your other co-host and project coordinator, Christopher Sneed. We focus here on open dialogue and inclusivity and we have a great show lined up for you one we've really been looking forward to a great book Chris is actually on your second read of this book Chris I think you're saying right? yeah on the second read there's a lot more kind of underneath the surface you know a lot more interplay between it just it's a much deeper book the second time you read it yeah Chris you were telling me like you really enjoyed reading this book so what can people expect from you well it's a fictional book but it feels like real Dublin it feels like a real place and like it's it's re- it's got like a quintessential irish sense of humor behind it 
but it is also kind of sad and it has has a lot of emotion kind of it's like a roller coaster really yeah um, definitely i think you were really you were glued to it actually weren't you, you, weren't, were you, you yeah started. yeah i had to read it twice to get the full value of the story like it's one of the best books i've read in a long time yeah, that's really? a big compliment. I got to tell folks at home. That's a big compliment from Chris. He loves his books and he loves his oh, reading. Yeah. So I would take that recommendation to heart and make sure you get your hands on a copy of Clementine Lane from Owen Brunkert. You'll find Clementine Lane on Amazon.co.uk, I think is probably the, the place to go and buy it. Mm. And you'll also find Owen Brunkert on Facebook. There's his Facebook page and he's on Twitter. And we highly recommend you go and check out his work. It really is some great stuff. And we're going to get into lots of bits and pieces to do with that. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually really interested to, to learn more about this one, Chris, because like you said, it's, it's, um, definitely a piece of work that there's obviously a lot of effort and talk gone into it. Mm. And a lot of love. Yeah. There's like, you can tell the obvious passion he has for Dublin. Like, and there's a funny little thing. Um, he actually added in a glossary of terms for the non Dublinites. Oh, yeah. At the back of the book, which is really funny. Like, yeah, you know, has definitions for the words like culture and uh, has Glushkon, like for car, you know, Mayfainer, and it gives you a bit of a description of all these terms. And Owen Brunker, he's, he's a pretty interesting guy, Chris, aside from the novel. And we've got his bio here he sent over to us, so just going to read out for folks. They give us a wee bit of an insight into the author. So Dublin native Owen Brunkert has worked on various inner-city community development projects for the past 11 years. Qualified in social policy and research, Owen started his career providing enterprise and training advice to people in long-term unemployment. From there, he has supervised a a labour activation scheme and several community-led youth services. And as a qualified social researcher, he has also worked on several policy papers and research projects for civil right, right advocacy bodies. When not, when not walking with his unfortunate wife, Owen enjoys reading and writing novels that are critical of civil servants as he is not a civil servant and is somewhat jealous. <laughs> Owen's official motivation for writing this novel was to create a hopeful, humorous parable for the importance of community in an increasingly isolated and individualizing world. Owen's unofficial motivation was money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so great stuff really looking forward to this now so I think I think without further ado we're going to bring Owen Brunkers into the virtual shooter here at Cam Projects there we go Owen oh. Mr Brunkert how are you doing? Oh, not too bad great you're very welcome here we're absolutely thrilled to have you here to talk about your book I think actually there's a bit of controversy about my de- uh, definition of the word culture because I just kind of said outside Dublin because that's how a Dublin yeah. term see a culture well, oh yeah, yeah. Outside Dublin, there's townie and there's culture, and they're not happy to be lumped together. No, so they a wouldn't be. A bit of controversy about how I define it. Yeah, great. <laughs> and so, will, I, will I re- will I read your definition there? Go for it. Just just for, just for pig irons. Culture, the risery term meaning country folk, not too dissimilar to a redneck. It's <laughs> 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 oh, great. Yeah, a few, you know, my 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 wife's from Wexford, and. Um, she wasn't happy with the definition. She thought it could be a little tighter, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get the idea for that actually, Owen? Uh, like, did, did you, was that something you kind of decided early on you were going to add that in, or, or how did that come about? Well, you know, it's, it's only when I was kind of thinking that, you know, 
I was planning to send, sell the book in England and actually as it happens, it sold in Germany, weirdly enough, quite well and Australia and America and England. And um, British wouldn't be too too bad in this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, obviously the Irish terms, they, they wouldn't know directly, but they might take a guess within the context of it. But you've no hope in kind of a German setting or like it's a whole different cultural kind of setup, like, you know. So I just thought yeah. I probably need to put some kind of background to what's going on here, you know. And I thought it was a little bit of an opportunity to have fun as well, kind of a fourth dimension thing too, you know. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of detail in there really add to it, the the the, the, the overall kind of feel, yeah. I think. Yeah. The whole thing should be kind of, it shouldn't be just a self-contained package. It should be like, the whole book is an opportunity to have fun with it. You, you know what I mean? If you if you thought about it. So I just thought it was a nice little addition. Yeah. It mm-hmm. does get me in trouble with my wife. <laughs> Great. So, so I went. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> 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 so um, when, when was the book published then? It was published April last year. Uh, it was around April 5th. We went live with it. Um, it was a two and a half year process before that. I started uh, writing it in, I think it was mid-2018. Um, so there's an awful lot of editing and rewriting and so on and so forth. But um, yeah, no, we launched it in April. Um, truthfully, that initial period, it's kind of you're, you're, you, you get your friends and your family, they're buying initially. So it actually takes a lot longer to build the kind of promotions and so forth to begin to get outside to people who don't know you and so on and so forth. So truthfully, we really were beginning to get good sales with the, the book around August, really. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. really good, Dan. It's climbing since. So. Oh, brilliant. Okay, it's, great. Story. Kind of, it's good, yeah, because you're kind of afraid that it goes high at the start and then it'll dip when those who know you yeah. have gotten their copy, but no, it kind no. of spreads. So. From, from my reading of the book, I think people will tell their friends like I've already told a few people I was like you have to read this book <laughs> well thanks I appreciate that yeah. no there seems to be a little bit of word amount and that's great like it's because I always take people's advice when it comes to book quite seriously because usually you know you read something online and it's you're never quite sure but when you trust somebody it's because you don't want to waste time with a book either it's a commitment in and of itself so no um, it's it's good to get word about there. It's the best way of advertising. Yeah, and and plus, like as you mentioned, there you know, like there is that there's that initial phase where it's like people you know are checking it out. But once you get outside of that network, you start to get like a really good idea of well, how is it being perceived, or wh- what do people really yeah. make of it? Because you, you've a less, you know, like people you know and your friends and your family. There's a bit of there's a wee bit of bias in there. But well, when it's always the thing, it's great, like and. That's what they're for, because you know if they told you it was it, it was bad, you'd be kind of broken hearted. Depends on the friends. Yeah, well, that's so, true too. But um, whether you respect their opinion or not, <laughs> this is very true. I, got, I kind of got some emails and stuff from, and I tell you where it was a nice kind of grouping in particular it was Dysphoria. It was some people, particularly in Australia and America, and they sent emails in, and this is what I remember and this is very vivid and stuff like that. And from that point of view, it was kind of nice because it was kind of a link back. So I like that. Like for me, that was a nice little kind of, you know, I mean, they're looking, reading this book and it's like, right, that's it. I know exactly this setup. I've been here, you know, and I thought that was nice. So I, I think you should write a, a follow-on book called Tato Crisps for this part. <laughs> <laughs> From a perspective, I'll go to me, set it in the park, you know. <laughs> 
So, uh, Owen, could you, you know? I suppose, could you, can you give people a, like, a rough idea? What, what should they expect from, from Clementine Lane? Well, I suppose in, the, in a very basic way, it's kind of a soap opera. In a lot of ways, it has that kind of quality to it in that it's, real, it's aimed at real, real kind of life as best it can be. Hmm. But I mean, it's a little, I'd like to think a little bit more than that. It's essentially five, maybe four to five directly interweaving narrative lines set in an inner city community. And it's essentially, it's about four, to, it's really about four people trying to deal with isolation in various terms against the backdrop of modern society and gentrification of an area and the way things are now, modern Ireland, basically. So it tries to mix that as best it can with a bit of humour. It shouldn't be too hard. Uh, You know, I try and take the narrative line of just try and make it as funny as possible, but at the same time, not shying away from the issues as I've seen them and I've known them. No, mm. no, that's very important. It does, it does go to some dark places, all right, and then so like that would be what I would say. Cuss it out. It does. There is well, like I, I, my own back, background is I worked in community development in the Minnesota area for twelve years. So, I, unfortunately, I, I, I've seen that. I, I kind of have that kind of knowledge of the of those kind of areas and those kind of lifestyles and that kind of thing. So, it kind of gives you a bit of a an understanding of, it. and I don't really want to ignore it either, but. I think it's more black humor. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, I had a really great guitar teacher and his whole point of view was it was always harder to write a happy song, uh, but it was worthwhile to do it. And his kind of concept on that was, and it's the same kind of philosophy underpinning it. You shouldn't avoid, like, I don't try and avoid to say something sad or dramatic or, or whatever, but there's a great danger when you're writing something that you might get into a kind of teenager kind of melodrama drama, like a, like a teenage girl channeling the Bronte sisters, you know. You don't want any of that, you know. Yeah. You want to, to, to try and kind of keep it as, as level, but not shying away from the fact that, you know, this is going to be, there, there are parts in life that are kind of dark, but the humour is meant there to kind of offset set that and mm. give an optimism. Well, do you know, that's yeah, great. Yeah, us. Oh, and that's brilliant because, like, that's, like, a big part of, the work we do around here is hinged on that exact approach that, you know, yeah. there, there are, there are dark and tough parts of life and we got to take it with it, with it, with a wee bit of a, uh, take it in our stride and be able to laugh. Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's not part of dealing with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really important, you know, and, and, and talking about these things and like going to these tougher places so that we can kind of get involved in the healing. Oh, don't ignore and, it. Yeah. Don't ever ignore it. That's the worst thing. But I mean, at the same time, like, y- you don't have to have, I think dark humor is actually the best way to describe it. There, you require a little bit of that. Like, you know, you should be able to laugh at things, you know, as well. Like, you know, so. Yeah. You could almost describe it as Irish humor because we're known yeah. for our gallows humor. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. It's that kind of gallows humor. It's, it is Irish humor in a nutshell. Like. So, Which makes me kind of wonder how it's doing in America. <laughs> it, could, it, could, it, could do, it could do really well. You, you, who knows? Might do really yeah, well in Alaska, Alaska or you know, well, you, it's funny where these things turn up. But so you're, you're saying there on it's like 2018 was you, you kind of started it. But was mm. there any kind of precursor to that? Had you did you have it in mind to write a book for a while or, you well, know, I mean, once again, it's that kind of thing. I always kind of wanted to try it. But when you originally start trying to tie around with things, you do send into this kind of melodrama. Oh, and dramatic and the rest. It's a bit withering. I'd see 
and you're like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> and then I kind of thought, well, look, what am I really trying to do here? So I kind of sat down and I always liked Flann O'Brien's kind of approach. Flann O'Brien kind of in that Swim Two Boards, he talks about um, the characters having control of their own destiny. And it's a very surreal and abstract way of thinking. What the way I feel about it was I wasn't going to write plot from the get-go and say, this is how they're going to interweave with it. What I was going to do was I was going to think about the characters, who they were, what they believed, what their background was, what they were about, and then launch them into a setting and then spiral out. What would they do from the various choices coming from that setting? The actual book, uh, the original draft of it began in the meeting where they're talking about the rebuild. It literally starts there. And it was an editor who later said, you know, you have to give a background to what's happening there. But it was literally started in, 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 in that meeting. And the point of that was I could introduce each of the characters as, they, as I went along in the meeting and then kind of they have their context now, off they go. So they, mm. Which as an approach to writing means that you'll never really get a grip of what it allows for twists and turns because the writer himself doesn't know what's going to happen next. So you're not yes. setting it up. Uh, it's not contrived. Um, but at the same time, the hardest part of that process is once the story is finished, you have to re-edit and allow for foreshadowing of different things to happen. So in a way, the characters have traveled their own path, but then you have to reread it and say, well, now I have to add those layers. You talk about rereading it, mm-hmm. there's these other parts in it and there's other relations. They have to be edited in after because they've done their own thing and now it has to be all yeah. painted over, you know? Right. Yeah. There's some oh yeah, I missed that bit the first reading because I didn't have the the, the rest well, I'm of the like, I mean that's that's it. Like yeah. I mean you you kinda of hope that like if it's all straight at your face straight away, you're kinda of, mm, well, you know, you want a little air there, you know. But yeah. yeah, that was the approach I took. Well that's great. So it's like a nice kind of organic approach where yeah, exactly that organic right, great okay well look we're going to take a quick break and we're going to we're going to be back with more from Owen Brunkert about his book Clementine Lane which we highly highly recommend you check out you'll find it on Amazon there it is there up on the screen amazon.co.uk uh, Owen that's, that, that'd be the, the place yeah. to find it yeah yeah 100% great it's, uh, it's the best one to go for okay great and if you'd like to reach out to Owen at all you'll have Owen Brunkert you'll find him on Facebook and Twitter and there'll be links to the book and all that kind of stuff in the description. So we'll be back with more from the Cam Projects podcast after these short messages. The Cam Projects Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAM Projects, you can email us at camprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com at the Cam Projects podcast on Spreaker.com or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com for as little as one euro a month plus fat you can help contribute to the Cam Projects. We do need help so check us out on either Patreon or Spreaker.com And we're back and you're all very welcome to the Cam Projects podcast where we love to talk about culture, art, nature and wellness and I'm your co-host Shane McKay, 
And I'm your other co-host, Christopher Sneed. And we got uh, Ong Brunkard in here. And Chris, will you read us out a wee bit there? Yeah, no, this is, this is just, this won't give any spoilers away. It's mostly a descriptive chapter because I love, I love my descriptive text. So, <clears throat> a crow flew over the little red bricks. The glow of the street lamps was his guide in the darkness and the rain as he swiftly made his way back to his nest for the night. The crow had misjudged the malevolence of the clouds when he had flown out earlier, and he was now resentful of the rain, which poured heavily on his back fe- on his feathers. The little bird climbed high to assail the towering blocks and flats, and to his pleasure descended with, a, with the wind at his back down towards little steeples atop the chapel. However, in a circular motion, he eventually majestically landed as he had done countless times before on his little nest, which was cleverly positioned in a corner of a ledge just in front of the chapel's beautiful stained glass windows. He would have protection from the wind and the rain now. It was cosy. To the little bird's annoyance, there was a constant garish blue flashing under his wall. Understandably irate, the little crow approached the edge of the ledge and he looked down on an ambulance. Two brightly dressed humans were carefully loading a red-headed one into the back of the vehicle. He was not moving. With his head to one side, looking at this non-moving human, was a large male in a blue jacket drinking from a cup, while a smaller female, also in blue, spoke into her shoulder. Yeah, it is. It's very descriptive. Hmm. It kind of makes it real. Yeah. Okay, great. So we, we get moving on. I can't wait to hear more about this. There's some, oh yeah, I missed that bit, the first reading, because I didn't have the, the, the rest well, of the like, I mean, that's, that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you kind of hope that, like, if it's all straight at your face, straight away, you're kind of, mm, well, you know, you want a little air, you know. But yeah. yeah, that was the approach I took. Well, that's great. So it's like a nice kind of organic approach where... Yeah, exactly that. Organic. Um, I don't presume to know what they're going to do next. Okay. Uh, I, I presume who they, I, I know who they are. Okay. So the, as the, and their settings change because they're all interacting on that basis. I know that kind of sounds mad. It, it sounds like I'm channeling some no. split personality, but I'm trying to actually think about how that, they're going to react. You know? Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because uh, there is some writers where the characters don't perform as they should, if mm. you know what I mean. Yeah, they're not. Like they're, 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 yeah, they're doing things completely out of character for the character yeah. they are. And see, that you was know. weird. Like, I mean, I didn't want them to be uh, kind of, oh, and now it, he does this because it's a, it, it's amazing change in the storyline. I didn't want that to happen. People kind of, hmm. they're habitual to it, a, a sense, yeah. like, no. So I didn't want it to change so, too much. Yeah, plus it's yeah, like, there is a very... Readers like they like to invest their their thoughts and their energy into, it. and if you just throw them, it's kind of sparing the works. It's just kind of it's not going to yeah, help no, for the yeah. yeah, and rightly so. I mean, people are making a commitment when they're uh, reading your book and stuff like that, and they should expect a certain kind of level of you know you put a bit of thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you did throw a few spanners in the works. Oh yeah, works well, well, but only when <laughs> spanners were necessary. Of you know. Um, there was like the narrator is very, very uh, teasy, you know. He's oh, yeah. I like being a bit of a jeer. I like being a bit of a jeer. And, you know, we all kind of tell lies to ourselves and stuff like that. And for for mm. interaction to work, we kind of let each other off. And that's necessary. But the, the narrator doesn't. His whole thing is, no, nah, he doesn't mean. <laughs> the narrator is the sixth character like you know oh yeah well, and that was the intention but mm. 
what happened? And like, I mean, that's not always like you, you, do, you do going back to talking about how other people read the book. You'd be surprised where you like that. And, and another few chaps that I know really like that kind of interaction. But I know a guy who read the book and he was kind of saying, do you know what? I don't like the narrator being so impactful or almost involved in the story as he is. I rather just report events, you know, that kind of way. So I guess it's not to everybody, but I kind of like a character that breaks the fourth wall and ties it together a little bit. Mm. I, I, I think a good metric would be if they like Terry Pratchett. Because it's something that I find Terry Pratchett does is that the narrator yes. goes, "Ah, now here, here's here's a little tidbit, but not much of a tidbit. It'll exactly. make sense later." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I enjoy that. Like, I like the kind of it, yeah, it is teasy. That's exactly the word. You know, I mean, it's that kind of you know, I, he's having fun at you know, and I think that's important as well. It's going back to that idea of not taking things too seriously and. It adds a little bit of levity once again in those moments when things get dark in it. He should be also able to pull you a little bit back from it too. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. Always be kind of grim either, you know? Chris, so oh, do you yeah. like to read out the the uh, the blurb from the back? Then? Yeah, blurb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no man is an island. Oh, wrong voice. Uh, right, sorry. No man is an island. But in Dublin, in an inner city, in an inner city lane, can just be that. Welcome to Clement Lane, where everybody knows everyone's business and respectfully keeps it to themselves and everyone else. A drugs rehabilitation centre is set for development on the lane, prompting the locals and their snobby neighbours from the next road over to unite in protest. The fragile alliance is forced to take on the combined weight of the political and media realms when an addict dies in suspicious circumstances. Elsewhere, a dark past that has haunted Lane for a century intertwines with the fates of a teenager and a homeless alcoholic. Is it supernatural, or is it, or is reality a, a yeah, or is reality that bit more frightening? Finally, a man from a well-heeled part of the city blows into the Lane, full of confidence and short on affection for his neighbours. When confronted with an impending loss, his friends fade into the digital world, leaving him to face this problem alone. But then, no man's an island. Clementine Lane is a humorous and poignant panorama of contemporary Dublin. Yeah. The last line is no <laughs> So I find I find that kind of interesting on how, um, it, like the 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 theme of isolation is a big one, is it? Then in the book, yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of it's it's a. Modern Ireland is great from so many different aspects, considering what went before and how oppressive it could be. But there's other things that it's missing, and it's that sense of community and a point of kind of like the four characters there. You've got the Culture Garda, uh, you've got the little teenage girl from Clementine Lane, you've got um, the homeless alcoholic and the middle class chap moving into the area, the 30 something from the offices moving into the apartment as part of gentrification. They all suffer a different form of isolation. And that's kind of their theme. They're all completely different characters. But it's to show that this is still happening. This is happening in this, you know, I mean, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of sense of, you know, there was an awful lot wrong with what went before, like it's clear as day. But we are losing a little bit of community cohesion. And it's an advertisement for that. It's about, you know, trying to find a, a nucleus. Like, in a lot of ways, you, you, you see the apartments springing up around the place and you know that there's cells where people are kind of just basically 
sleeping before they go to work and then the weekend they can go back home to whatever town they're mm-hmm. from. So it's kind of a critique of that kind of lifestyle that we're entering into and, you know. Hmm. The, the launch of the desk. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it, technology, it's a little bit of an attack on capitalism, but not really red flag stuff. It's a little bit of attack on technology, but not really Luddite stuff. It's kind of saying, you know, don't forsake human interaction. It's important, you know. And I know we're talking on this and the rest, but look, we're talking face-to-face at least. But when I am talking about is when, particularly if you look at that character who suffers the bereavement, his whole social circle is on WhatsApp group. And I've mm. seen that firsthand. I've seen it in others. And it's sad. Um, the little girl is uh, unable to talk to her parents. You know, it's the, the, the guard is a fish out of water. And, you know, the apartment, uh, like, you know, the... The homeless alcoholic obviously has his own issues with addiction that brings on its own isolation, you know. So it's, yeah, isolation is a massive theme in it and it's a critique of, look, a lot of things have progressed and that's great, but there's some things that we're, we're beginning to lose and we need to actually look at that. It's important. Yeah, like basic level like, stuff. Here is important exactly for that. Like, you know, this is exactly the mm. point. Like, you should be reaching out and, you know, comp- bring this all together and that's that's what you're doing that's that's kind of the narrative point of the book to a large degree you know yeah that's very interesting now actually because um yeah like as you mentioned that's like it is it's a big focus on that that those exact kind of topics you're talking about we've covered multiple times on the show and um yeah we see it as a really important conversation to have you know that and that we kind of as uh, individuals and as a society start to engage with each other a bit more and in our communities and technology can be a good tool for those things but it'll never be uh, it's an extension it's not or it shouldn't be a replacement you know and i kind of find that it's kind of a like almost coincidental then that you kind of had a lot of this in mind and then we hit the the lockdown so how yeah. did how did that kind of feed into the process for you? And did it did it like invigorate you, or did it take? Did it make it like how did? Well, that it kind of ruined the lodge party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean to be honest, which uh, like I it didn't affect me in one sense because a lot of the sales are actually based online, but it, it became a theme after an awful lot of that book for me. I finished that book, writing that book in January last year, you know, and it foreshadowed an awful lot of things from, I'm not saying that I'm an oracle or anything like it, because I just think that it was kind of so grounded in reality that it maybe didn't even foreshadow Mm. it. This was stuff that was happening all the time. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? And it gets emphasized because of the lockdown, I think. And people are kind Mm. of like, oh, well, you know, but it was happening slowly before that. Yeah, you know, and I um I had a researcher come over here from Canada some years ago. I'm community development officer here in James Street, and her whole thesis was about you know where's your uh, where's your community node, you know? So you go to French Canada, it'll be a Catholic church, you know, or a kibbutz in Israel or whatever, you know, that kind of way. You'll mm-hmm. there'll be a point in a compu- uh, community where they'll all meet, and at least once a week, everybody's chatting. Um, you know, having a picnic or something like that. I said, well, you, you could say it's the church, but now it's the pub. But even now, like, it's not even the pub in a sense because there are even smaller groups again. That kind of atmosphere has changed as well. I, I, I had to answer, honestly, there really wasn't one. And our organization that I work for, we try and do that, but it's really, I can tell you now, it's really hard to bring people out, like, you know, 
So technology is kind of, it's a bomb that you're putting on the the wound. You think you have a social life, but you don't. You know, it's... Sure. A a, a WhatsApp group message, uh, 50 of them an hour or whatever, and you're joking around. You know, it's a distraction. But it's not the same as playing a football or... or No. It's a little bit like the methadone of conversation. It's, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, that's it. Yeah. way of putting it. Like, I mean, that's exactly it. You, you're kind of in a scenario where you think, you, yeah, you, you, yeah, it's medicated. Your 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 life is your social life is being medicated. Rather. Well, it's, I, I like to go back to the, um, uh, you know, when when it, when you say like, if you look at calculators, you know, that as soon as calculators came on the scene, all of a sudden people weren't great at maths anymore. And I yeah. think it's a similar thing with mobile phones and whatever. And it's kind of like, it's, it's dumbing down conversation, I think. Well, it's over reliance. Exactly. Dumb it down. Yeah. So you have your smiley faces and stuff. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's got, it's got, there's good points too, for sure. But I think we got it. I think that is really, this is a really important conversation, a topic we're getting onto about. We, we need to be aware of that as well, because it's like, I don't think it's really measured either yet. Like there's been no real, Precedent. It's hard to. Me- it's it's kind of hard to measure. It, like that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Right? If you talk to somebody, in, let's say a qualitative interview, and you you sat them down and say, "Oh, what you call it? Do you have a good social life?" Oh yeah, look look at all these friends groups, you know, and they'll hold the phone. You know what I mean? They may not realize yeah. themselves, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. And I suppose you could do it in the survey sense, kind of how many times do you actually meet your friends face to face? Which would be a better question. You know? Hey, that could be a good census. They maybe they should be adding questions <laughs> like that on the census, actually. Because yeah, <laughs> you know? it is um it's unprecedented, like this uh the thing with technology. And like we, again, we've done we've we've covered it a good bit and like we've spoken a bit about how, you know, this interaction with the phones and stuff, like it's mm. a bit it's a little bit like a slot slot machine sometimes, you know, mm. where there's things flashing up at your face and you yeah. get positive reinforcement and Yeah, well, that's the, the other side of it, like, you know. Yeah. Um, there's actually <laughs> In in some countries, they actually have computer addiction treatment facilities. Wow. You know, because kind of, people are that, you know. It's a bit bleak. It's very Black Mirror, really, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not you know. Right. you know. No. But um, it's all about the dopamine, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And so I suppose in a lot of ways, it was kind of that, and it's a rather on the nose kind of thing of... I, I don't think it gives anything away, but to say that I'm pushing this way, you know, it's mm. good when they're all together. Like the the the, the, yeah. the rehabilitation center, the politics, they're all straw men. It's to get them together, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's like especially towards the end of the book. It's kind of you know, you do you do you do make that point fairly clearly, like yeah, but without being too without being too kind of head patty. You know? yeah. Well, that's the, see, that's the danger, isn't it? Like, don't be a bad yeah. <laughs> when, when you throw in the moral, don't put in too much moral. <laughs> that's it. You know, you, you need your ice cream with it. Like, that's that's long the short of it. That's the, but that's the other thing about it too, and it's why humor is important and all of that kind of thing as well. Like, yeah. I mean, you don't want to be uh, pious or someone to moralize at you because, as you say, it's patronizing. So if you're reading this, you, you've spent money on a book, and to some degree yeah, grand, you want to think about things. And that's what the author is trying to do to some degree, I'm sure. But also you want to be entertained. And that's why you bought the book mainly, right? Mm. And that's a fair assumption to have for the thing. So you don't want somebody preachy going, oh, you know, chicken litter, little disguise falling, like, you know, um, 
we don't socialize enough anymore and it's your fault. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do any of that kind of routine. You want to actually yeah. say, look, this is something more you thought, but, you know, enjoy the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great. Okay, well, look, we're going to be back with more from Owen Brunkert next month about his book, Clementine Lane, which we highly, highly recommend you check out. You'll find it on Amazon. There it is there up on the screen. Amazon.co.uk. Uh, Owen, that's, that, that'd be the, the place yeah. to find it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Great. It's, uh, it's the best one to go for. And if you'd like to reach out to Owen at all, you've Owen Brunkert, you'll find him on Facebook and Twitter and there'll be links to the book and all that kind of stuff in the description. So we'll be back with more from the Cam Projects podcast and part two is available now on patreon.com. When we can, Chris, what do we like to do? Help each other. Help us all. That's it. Slong of all got the net. Owen Brunkert, thanks a million. Thanks for having me on. Slong of all. Slong. Slong. And the Cam Projects email is canprojects.info at gmail.com and you'll find a link to the Can Projects website in the description. All the best. Stick around for part two with Owen Brunkert where we talk more about his novel Clementine Lane and modern Ireland from a Dublin kind of standpoint, but also probably a bit of a wider view. Stick around. You're all very welcome to the Can Project podcast. We love to talk about culture, art, nature and wellness. And coming up this weekend on the Can Projects podcast, we have... The next part of The Wind and the Willows, classic stories, readings by Chris Sneed. And we have returning guest, Irish author Owen Brunkert, about his close-to-life fictional novel based in Dublin, Clementine Lane. Myself and Chris did a short live stream last week with some updates and behind-the-scenes info available up on Patreon at the moment. It went out as a live stream, but we decided to keep it just for the patrons. That's up there now. We can also let you know that part eight of The Wind in the Willows will be out the week after next. We will also have returning guests from the EEB, that's the European Environmental Bureau, Piotr Barczyk, who is a senior policy advisor at the EEB and an inclusive and circular economy expert. So we have a great show with Piotr Barczyk about plastic and the environment coming up the week after next. All of those shows in the coming weeks are available on patreon.com advert free. So on Brunkert part one and two, advert free. It's about an hour long. Actually, Patreon's gone, guys, so, and folks, uh, but you'll get everything on our free archives over there on Spreaker.com and YouTube. They say, in the next 10 years, all bananas will be extinct, or genetically modified. And we couldn't be happier because we own the paint! Invest now in Banana Futures! Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people? 
Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20 plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. the can projects podcast where we love to talk about culture arts nature and wellness and i'm your co-host and project coordinator shane mckay and i'm your other co-host and project coordinator christopher sneed and we have a great show lined up for you one we've really been looking forward to a great book chris is actually on your second read of this book yeah on the second read there's a lot more kind of underneath the surface it's a much deeper book the second time you read it it's a fictional book but it feels like real Dublin. It feels like a real place. It's got like a quintessential Irish sense of humor behind it. But it is also kind of sad. It has a lot of emotion, kind of. It's like a roller coaster, really. One of the best books I've read in a long time. And Owen Brunker, he's, he's a pretty interesting guy. And we've got his bio here he sent over to us. We're just going to read out for folks. They give us a wee bit of an insight into the author. So Dublin native Owen Brunker has worked on various inner city community development projects for the past 11 years. Qualified in social policy and research, Owen started his career providing enterprise and training advice to people in long-term unemployment. From there, he has supervised a labour activation scheme and several community-led youth services. As a qualified social researcher, he has also worked on several policy papers and research projects for civil right advocacy bodies. When not walking with his unfortunate wife, Owen enjoys reading and writing novels that are critical of civil servants as he is not a civil servant and is somewhat jealous. <laughs> Owen's official motivation for writing this novel was to create a hopeful, humorous parable for the importance of community in an increasingly isolated and individualizing world. Owen's unofficial motivation was money. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and coming up now is a short clip from the previous show with Irish author Owen Brunkert in part one of the interview about his novel Clementine Lane. It's really about four people trying to deal with isolation in various terms against the backdrop of modern society and gentrification of an area. The way things are now, a modern Ireland basically. It's not a first novel that was published lightly. It wasn't something that I wrote and then I published it was something I wrote and then I rewrote and then I rewrote and then I rewrote and then I published. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. I t try and take the narrative line of just try and make it as funny as possible, but at the same time, not shying away from the issues as I, I've seen them and I've known them. As an approach to writing means that you'll never really get a grip of what it allows for twists and turns. 
because the warrior himself doesn't know what's going to happen next. We're going to be back with more from Owen Brunkert about his book Clementine Lane, which we highly, highly recommend you check out. You'll find it on Amazon. Modern Ireland is great from so many different aspects, considering what went before and how oppressive it could be. But there's other things that it's missing, and it's that sense of community. Do you have a good social life? Oh yeah, look, look at all these friends groups, you know, and you can hold the phone. It shouldn't be just a self-contained package. It should be like, the whole book is an opportunity to have fun with it. And we're back. And you're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, art, nature and wellness. And I'm your co-host, Shane McKay. And I'm your other co-host, Christopher Sneed. And we got uh, home, Brunkert in here. And Chris... Great ads there. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, they're, they're well, we keep, together. keep them brief sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, this book, we're getting, really getting into the nuts and bolts of this book. I'm finding it fascinating, actually. And I only had a wee look at it, but Chris was the one who really... Chris loves his books and he loves his reading. And you really enjoyed it, Chris, didn't you? You were telling me you really... Oh, yeah. No, thanks Like, it's it's probably one of the best books I've read in the past five, ten years. Like, Oh, wow, I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and I can I can yeah. tell you, Owen, he's not he's not he's not uh, he's he's not patronising at all. He, Chris really means that. And when he was telling yeah. me about yeah, it, I was, was like, patronising. I just go, yeah, no, he's telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Um, and I'm I'm a heavy reader, like you know, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. I think fresh, I Chris was. You were saying it feels quite fresh. Yeah, it, it like I think it's part of being self-published that you don't have the same story restrictions as like established authors would no no you know, people with a publishing house behind them yeah you do as you wish i mean de- uh, like in fact it was an issue with it afterwards how do i genreize this how do i market this what is it exactly because as a, as a book it was kind of like this is what i want to do and i'm going to do it and that's fine and i'm really happy doing it and it becomes a, and, and it could be the expression of what 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 i want it to be but it's not um, a business thing in so far as this is the department it sits in. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's like it's, it's a, it was a non. It's a for me. It sounds like it's an artistic work. Like you've 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 kind of bre- you, you've breathed life into this thing, and you're you're not letting the market as such dictate it. You try. I try <laughs> my best not to, to to sound pretentious when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like because it's like oh, it's a work of art. No, uh, it's a kind of. Um, it's actually just when I was trying to put it into a genre afterwards, it's like, I actually don't know what, what to call this, like, you know. Well, what was it, Chris? You kind of, it is a bit, uh, is it fair to say that it's a, in the, in, in, in the realms of Roddy Doyle-ish? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Be along that yeah, side. Roddy Doyle, maybe, um, maybe a little bit of Brendan O'Carroll as well. Yeah, but like the there, books, yeah. Brendan O'Carroll, not the stand-up Brendan O'Carroll, you know, no, the, the mammy. No. Or the, uh, the gigglers, like, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's you could sit in that, like, you know. Um, yeah, you, you could easily slot it into Irish interest in a bookshop. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you could also slot into fiction and comedy. And Like, in Britain, it sells under uh, contemporary or urban. That's what, it, what genre it sells there. Mm. In Australia, it sells under family saga. In America, it sells under cozy mystery. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it, it takes an awful lot of boxes, like, you yeah. know. It's um, tell me something, though. Did you get a kick out of uh, making people laugh and then feel guilty about laughing about it? 
Yes. Well, I always do that. I mean, I like provoke people to laugh at something, and they're like, "Oh, you shouldn't." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me, me and Shane have experienced that a few times already. And then, you know, it, may, it makes you think, though. You think yeah, harder on the subject. Yeah, yeah. it's thought provoking. I think, to, like any, I think a sign of good media or good art. I know you. Okay, is that pretentious? It is. For me, it's it's it's, a, it's an artistic expression in there. But if it's engaging with your, like you say, you're not being pretentious or trying to talk down to somebody or like impose an opinion. It's about actually engaging as opposed to just. A you dialogue. See, or, the, uh, you shouldn't get your uh, soapbox uh, and kind of, you know, as you say, patronize talk down. Like, I mean, it is actually yeah. trying to think about, like, you know, I mean, I, I, I offer views. I don't offer one view in it. Like, you know, I do offer a few views, but um, it's yeah. for the person to engage with it. And it's exactly like you don't treat your reader like a fool because it's the one thing <clears throat> that people hate is to, you know, they're, they get things handed to them too much or whatever like that because it's like, well, who are you? You know, that kind of way. You, yeah. you, you have to assume. And you can trust people then as well because, you know, they're, they're, they're buying into it then. So it's it's good, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I do like to provoke people to laugh at things that probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, and then feel a little bit guilty, but like, it's, that's, that's where the fun is. <laughs> well, it's kind of like that's, isn't that happens in real life? It's like sometimes you laugh at something and kind of go, oh, should I laugh at that? Like that is real life, you know? Yeah. It's like we laugh when we're nervous sometimes and maybe it's not always appropriate. And that's a good, that's a good thing to think about, you know? I do think about that. So I used to laugh at some of the most inappropriate stuff, like, you know? Well, sometimes people actually kind of make you laugh about things when they're trying to shock you into thinking about them as well, like, you know, that mm. kind of way. And, well, you can kind of see you can kind of see that in some comedians. They know I know some people take it far too far. I'm actually more mm-hmm. cheeky with it, to be honest, which is not. I wouldn't go down too dark yeah. a road with that. Like no, because um, Bush, you can see it in Frankie Boyle's humor. He, he would probably go down that kind of way. You know that kind yeah. of. So it's I try to keep it light as I can. You know, but at the same time, a little cheeky bit now and again. Mm. But, that's it, but like that's what comedy has always been for. Like mm-hmm. as a societal thing, it's a pressure release. It's a yes. it's a safety valve. Without a doubt, and um, it's also a way of poking, punching up, basically. Yes, a hundred percent. Never punch yeah. down. You know. No, no, no. no that was, never, never target the victims. Never target the victims. That's exactly it. Like. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 that's exactly. I think it was Frankie Boyle who did say that. Actually, you know, if you're targeting, yeah. he was. I think he was critiquing. I don't know if it was Ricky Gervais or one of these other comedians, but he was kind of suggesting that look, if you're making fun of somebody who's already in a terrible situation. You're completely misusing it. Yeah, well, uh, Terry Pratchett mm. said. I came across a quote from Terry Pratchett describing exactly what you're talking about there yeah, about how, yeah. um, you know, it's satire. Satire is not, uh, you know basically bullying somebody who's kind of, you know, already feeling kind of victimized somehow. Mm. That's, you know, that's actually abusive. Like if you're just making light of somebody else's kind of uh, struggle or, I mean, there's been stuff recently um, in the news. It's, it happens from time to time. And it's like, it's an interesting topic, you know, comedy, like how far should it go or should it not go? And I think having a light heart is good, but like the minute that crosses over to, I can, I feel better because I can laugh because I'm not in that situation. Mm. It's kind of, yeah. it gets, you know. Well, we were talking about yeah. types of Irish humour and satire is a major one. I mean, you're going right the way back to Swift then, you know? 
So yeah. you're talking about Gulliver's Travels and that's all about, you know, you've got the two peoples there, you've got the, the, the essentially the, the Irish guys. Yeah. yeah, well, you've the Irish guys who are kind of living on the ground, toiling to, to, to make vegetables for the, the lads in the clouds and stuff like that. Now, yeah. I'll let, let people guess who they're meant to be. But <laughs> uh, the point is, it's entirely satirical and it's about punching up. It's about, you know, look, well, you have all this kind of stuff and you abuse it. Hmm. So... You know, we're going to have fun with you. you know? And then, of course, there's a reverse where uh, Gulliver becomes the little person for a while, you know? Yeah, exactly. Second Ireland. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Like, you know, so I mean, it, it shows, it, 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 he does that wonderfully in that book. It, it hasn't aged today, really. Like, I mean, it's one of my favorite yeah. books. It's this kind of idea that changing perspectives and it gives you a good idea of power dynamics then. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I think that, it's, I think it's a masterpiece for you know. It's funny you mentioned oh, that yeah. book because uh, that's actually we're, we're doing some. Chris is doing some readings, um, and that's actually on our list. Uh, Gulliver Travels, great book, I love it. Wonderful, wonderful yeah. book, wonderful imagination. But yeah, I mean, I think that point of power dynamics and the political parties do come into it. And I often wonder, did I do the right thing by actually naming them? Because would it have been better? Would it be more? transferable to other countries had I just left it as it's kind of a social democratic party, yes. central right. Well, that kind that, of that brings us back to your glossary of terms. You know? Yeah, it does really like, well, I had fun with that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I might dip into that again. <laughs> just, 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 yo, where is it? No, I suppose that you so do we have, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. We have the failures, members of the Fianna Fáil political party. Blue shirts, derogatory term for a member of the Fine Gael political party. Shinners, members of the Sinn Féin political party. Trots, a member of the left-wing political party that follows the philosophy of Leon Trotsky. And May Fainer. <laughs> well, you see, like, I, I was kind of nervous that if I, if, 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 I kind of thought, like, maybe I should have left it out. But at, at the same time, there is a little segue in certain parts where I kind of, I smacked them on the nose a little bit about each of them, about different aspects of their ideology. Gently, not too hard. I, I didn't go full political about it. But and, 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 and fairly equally. And fairly well equally as I could, you know. But like, yeah. I, that's kind of a way of doing things, you know. I, I, I like that kind of way of thinking. Like, you know, they, oh, they're that's people in power and they're, they, above all, should have the humour thrown their way. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, none of your characters are saints. No. None of them. No, but they should um, be. Yeah, no, definitely yeah. not. Like, you, you know, you, you, switch, you, you switch between kind of like disgust and admiration and, you know, <laughs> everything is just, there's, there's the polar opposite in every character, you know? Well, you see, that's just it. Real people are a bit of a mix. Like, they, they'll do something yeah. good and then they'll shock you with how bad they've been. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's it. It's the way of it, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like, I, I'd be interested to know now as well, kind of like, it, it, and it, it is really interesting to hear how a lot of the, um, the inspiration for the book has come from your own personal experience and your work kind of in community-based kind of stuff. But aside from that, like, is there much other research that, go, that kind of had to go into it as far as, well, how do I go about this? Or did you, you know, do you, you know, say after the first revision, do you kind of go, oh, I need to follow up on this? Or how does that kind of work? Well, like I tell you, I did do research for it. And uh, once the research was done, I got rid of the chapters. Oh, okay. <laughs> it took a while. Um, 
there's a character in it who's a nun. And at one stage, I played with the idea of relating her story when it happened. And uh, there was three or four chapters basically written. And it was Dublin in turn of the century. And I had to get what done. The idea of that was to show how the lane had changed to what it was. And it was to compare and contrast. So I wanted to get as close to a social history as I could to the lane or to a Dublin residential lane mm. in tenement times. Um, but I ended up discarding those chapters because basically a few people had, had read draft copies of them. And they said, look, you know, that's really another book you're writing there. Right. It was too much of a, a, a contrast. So I actually changed the character. She kind of went from this um, almost pious type character. And I'm kind of glad she's gone because she was kind of drained. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I kind of got rid of her. And then I rewrote her as this kind of, Rather indifferent, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a really irreverent, a, yeah, a really irreverent character for being a religious character. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I thought, you know, what? I'm doing this wrong. I, like, the nun shouldn't be a saint. The nun should be really Dublin here and actually just kind of obnoxious to some degree. There's a little bit of, and then a bit of indifference to the plight. Of the, one of the favourite things I loved about Willy Wonka was the the, the, the the indifference he had to the plight of all those children. And I actually, yeah. I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> so she went, it, she went from this kind of pious, kind of caring character to this kind of irreverent, kind of almost indifferent yeah. to what was going on. Like, um, You don't sound like you're from Galway. Yeah. Sure, what would you know? How would you know a Galway accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it was an opportunity to have fun with it then. Like, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and I liked it then because, as I say, those original three or four chapters, they were actually kind of, they were kind of serious, actually. And, and it didn't sit well with it. And I think it would have tipped the balance, you know, so it was but good I, advice. I, I think it did cover a fair bit of history in it as well, like the history of areas that went from being like oh yeah manor houses to tenement houses to Queen to Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did research that because Shores Shores got my little apples. The idea on that score would be if I said Queen Street was named after Queen Mary, somebody would email me. You know, <laughs> we'll be back with more from the Cam Projects podcast after these short messages. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com, at the Can Project Podcast on Spreaker.com, or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com. For as little as one euro a month plus fat, you can help contribute. We do need help, so check us out on either Patreon or Spreaker.com. My sound man, Shane McKay, has his business called MacSoundServices.com. That's M-A-C-K, SoundServices.com. What he does for me is I send him my shows, and he he does audio enhancements and stuff like that. He does miracles if you see some of the stuff I send him and how it comes back. So get a hold of Shane at MacSoundServices.com, M-A-C-K, SoundServices.com. You're all very welcome back to the Can Projects podcast. You do some fairly abstract references as well. I mean, I think at one point you referenced King Citric Silkenbeard. I did, actually. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't even very relevant to the story. Yeah, well, yeah it's, a, it's a name I know quite well, but a lot of people would, might know like Citric as a as a term nearly. Yes. Yeah, you know, but wouldn't yeah. And um, I mean, he quite was important. Oh yeah, he was the king of Dublin at yeah. the turn of the uh, the, the year one thousand. Like, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, uh, know if he, if he is where I suggested that he that he is, but uh, it was more of a criticism about the the whole Woodkey idea because <laughs> for me yeah. it was like there's our Ireland, Ireland's forum, and oh no, here comes the DCC. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> building over some very valuable, um, ridiculous. You know, yeah. Ah, uh, they learned so much about Viking society from the wood key, and then they just buried it up and didn't learn anything else. Like, you um, know, yeah, they, a perfect plate, and that turned to a, an attraction almost, like you know, a walkable mm. around attraction or something along that line. I just think it would have yeah. been a missed opportunity. Oh yeah. I'm quite critical to the council all the way through. To be fair, you yeah. Know. Well, I mean, it was there was a big deal about that at, at, at the time. Wood Key really was a big deal. You know? But in general, I just attacked them. <laughs> yeah. in the book that they're kind of the, the consistent bad guys. <laughs> I actually got a chance to look at um, some bits and pieces from there that were kind of being warehoused. Um, oh, wow. But I best not talk about who let me in. <laughs> okay. okay. No spoilers. <laughs> No spoilers. no spoilers, but um, no spoilers. Chris, yeah, so you did, you did a, you did a massive amount of research, as far as I'm concerned. Like, oh, thank you. Um, it, it was. I wanted the book to be really grounded in Dublin. I wanted people to be able to every aspect. The, of the only problem I had was um, I couldn't find Clement Lane anywhere on a map, though. No, actually, <laughs> I'm, I thought I made up Clementine Lane. I really did, but um. I was looking at it the other day and it actually may exist in a Dublin, in Ohio, in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of right. In fact, the whole book is sent in Ohio. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to change my story now. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. say, you spin know, off. I hear a spin off. In Ohio, you know. <laughs> Little or possibly big Dublin in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so, no, how did you call them? Well, I, kind of was thinking, I was kind of thinking, um, when you hear kind of old Dublin stories, you kind of hear saints names uh, and that mm. kind of thing. And I wanted, and there's almost sometimes a little bit of angle to it as well. Like you hear the Baino and stuff like that. I kind of wanted to hover around that. I didn't want it to be too Irish because Dublin has its own weird uh, names and stuff. And they're a mixture of Viking mm. and Norman and, you know, English as well and all the rest of it. So I just thought Clementine would kind of sit in that kind of like, oh, an old Clementine name. It kind of has that kind yeah. of feel, you know, that kind of yeah. like. Yeah, it sounds fitting, all right. Yeah, and I love small oranges, so. You know. <laughs> ah, so you got the name from your deep love of citrus, eh? <laughs> My deep love of citrus. That's the real story. The other story sounds better, though, doesn't it? It sounds like I was giving a bit more thought, like, and I wasn't just sitting down and eating an orange. <laughs> yeah, it's strange then that there's no mention of oranges at all in the book none. that I noticed. None. None. No? None at all. It has absolutely nothing to do with oranges or toast. Or toast at all. <laughs> 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 so if the, if you, if there's a few chapters then that kind of got for want of a better word kind of axed or whatever like did oh, you man. did you uh, uh, are you are you kind of are you thinking about any follow-ups or anything else kind of coming up or 
Well, I have to tell you, I was kind of thinking about writing something completely different. What I was actually thinking about was to kind of like I had two ideas. One was to kind of move with external characters from that and kind of do something with them. But then I kind of thought I might be covering an awful lot of old ground and I was kind of worried that I'd be trying to do something different with the same ideas. And that would be the last thing. Do you know, I mean, the guy, I can't even think of his name now, the chap who wrote Cloud Atlas, um, David... Um, um, not David Eddings, no, not David, no. Uh, ah, it's gone. But anyway, I'm sure... Everybody knows this guy anyway. He's, 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 hmm. he's a fairly great author. But if you look at his list of his, his bibliography, books are completely different. Like he wrote a book that I absolutely adore called The Thousand Days of Mr. Dessouge. And it's an historical uh, kind of epic about a Dutchman living on a trading colony outside Japan with occult tendencies in the 17th century. And then he wrote Cleo <laughs> Atlas in the side hmm. point. So okay. <laughs> he, he, he never got bored. He just kind of, oh, I'll just do something hmm. really different now. And then he, he himself wrote something quite contemporary and kind of soap opera as well. So, I mean, I like that. So I was kind of thinking if I was to do it again, I would focus a little bit more on the comedy and then I would kind of do an episodic type thing and a whodunit. It would be, hmm. I, have, I have the context for what I want to do. Um, and somebody's going to get murdered in that situation and it'll be the different characters and their backstories will be brought around and it'll be a whodunit kind of scenario. And that's kind of something I was toying with because I just think the humour is there, like, you know, and you can have a lot of fun. With a whodunit, you can tell those backstories that I like doing in Clementine Lane. You can, and then you bring in that once again, you're giving that relative character a little bit of agency thereafter and so on and so forth. So... You can layer it again. And it, would, it would fit with the tongue-in-cheek sense of humour as well. Massively, you know? massively. I just think massively. Because like the Clemson Lane thing, it was personal. There was a lot of um, my own thoughts about things and stuff like that. And it was serious to a point. I would like to do something a little lighter like as well. like you know. And I think there's greater opportunity and scope to write something funny there. you know. So mm-hmm. I, I have a context in my mind and... I'm going to develop it, but I, I can already see how it kind of comes together. But the main thing, as always, is start with your characters and let them off. You know, right. that's how I see that. Yeah, that's quite insightful, actually. And it's kind of, it's really, it's nice to hear, like, what the process was like. And kind of, like, I find that qu- quite compelling. Or, like, I would say it's it'd be interesting for other creators out there to kind of hear that I think that that organic approach is definitely very important, but it's kind of like you almost have to. Is it, it would it be fair to say you can't be too precious with the work as well because you'll just kind no. of stifle it otherwise. No, not at all. Like I mean, I think the original script from uh, Clementine Lane was one hundred and thirty thousand. The final draft is ninety nine, and all of that that was kind of that was massively rewritten, like. As I was saying, you let the characters go off in their own direction, but then you have to go back to where they've walked and kind of <laughs> redo the scenery, you know, that kind of way. Yes. Um, you have to make sure those layers are there so it does make sense that they're operating in the way that they do. Um, it, there's things that you think at the time, that melodramatic teenager looking to channel the Bronte sisters is always in there somewhere, you know, and always when that, oh, that's a great phrase. That's, you know, it's so sad, so dramatic. And um, that phrase will always have to go because if if it's something 
if it's something so over the top in its descriptive qualities and aesthetic qualities, it's probably narcissistic to keep it there. And the reader <laughs> will probably think you're full of it. <laughs> so you write this great phrase and you think, oh, that's brilliant. But then you read it again. No, actually, this is a bad idea to keep that there. You yeah. know? So writing is an awful lot you write. It's an awful lot You know, so you write it, you rewrite it. You write more, you go back, you write again. And by the time you finish, and then that's when you get to a draft and you give that to an editor and they're like, mm, no, I don't know what that's about. It's, it's, you could be finished the thing in one year and then the rewrites begin and then it's two and a half. You know, it's, it's big. It's, if you're doing it, I think anyway, if you're spending time on it and you're, you're really trying to distill it, you have to spend the time on it and go over and over and over again. Because another thing as well, if you're trying to write anything complex as well, you can have these little widows in it as well. And what I mean by widows is these kind of plot lines that you meant to go somewhere else, but you had forgot about them when you left them there. Or there's a little saying that she said this, thinking that you'd return to that at some other point, and you don't. And you need to reread that. And you need about four or five other eyes to look through it again, because they'll pick that up and you won't. You know it's there, and you'll just gloss over it with your eyes. You know, so. It's a lot of distilling. Mm. Well, it sounds like a really positive process, though. Like for like, you, it's there must fun. Be, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, it's really fun. I, you know, I I I absolutely love writing. Like it's just, and when you come to the situation, I I made that sound dreadful, <laughs> but it yeah, it's actually really fun. Like I mean, when you walk around, like oh, hang on, I know what I'll do with that, and then you're back. And you know, you're, you're, you're writing 2000 words, 3000 words, whatever, getting it down out of your head and you'll, you'll whittle that down to 500 the next night or whatever. But it's fun. You, you think at that moment in time, you've done something amazing. Now it may not us, but you know, it, for that moment in time, you, you're really delighted with yourself that you created. You know yourself. I mean, you're both very creative people. So I mean, you, you know what I mean? When you hit on something, <laughs> you're like, there's a little kind of, Slam. There's no sense of accomplishment from making a cup of tea. Exactly. Exactly. There is no sense of accomplishment from making up a cup of tea. No, you're dead right, though. I mean, when you do something that's yours and you know it's yours and it's your little bit of spark, you know, it is actually a lovely thing. It feels great. And well, I love though is that you've been so considerate to your audience and your readers, though. That's like definitely makes for a good reader. Any, any, any medium, you know, like we said, there's, there's an, there's, there's an invitation to the reader to actually engage with the thing without, without like trying to grab onto them and shake it into them. Like, you know, and um, ah, yeah, it's not the yeah. approach. It's like, I mean, it should be for pleasure ultimately. Like, and people should enjoy it. Like, I don't like anybody who's biased, to be honest, which I never really got on board in that train. Um, I have my own beliefs about different things as I'm sure everybody does, but you don't have the right to just show up people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, oh, that's it. So we're, we're going to wrap it up shortly, but Chris, I know you, have you anything you're like just dying to ask Brunk about off the top of your head there that, you know, as somebody who's read the book and really enjoyed it, um, we, we covered, we, we went through a lot of it there, um, like the narration style, mm. uh, you mentioned the spoilers, yeah. we better not mention the spoilers, uh, uh, uh no, um, I mean, like, I know you're planning on writing another book and, you know, things like that as well, but, um, like, just, I was blown away. I can't, I can't really believe it's a first novel. 
Thanks. That's very really nice of you. Thank I, you. I really, I, I really can't. Like, um, like, have you have you written other stuff that just you never got around to publishing, or? Um, I kind of, I, I, I tried my hand at short, uh, short stories, but I kind of gave up on it. To be honest with you, um, I like writing episodically. You know what I mean? The way that actually. Now I'm going to bring this back to a Clementine. Now you'll see where this is going. This is all. Correct. This is all my plans. There's sales and narrator coming in. <laughs> going around, you know, <laughs> it's like a Clementine. But um, I like write, writing kind of um, episodically, and I suppose that kind of owes the beginning of I, I started writing short stories. I suppose most people do start writing short stories, hmm. um, and then trying to link it as you go. Um, but really, truthfully, no, I didn't do a huge amount of writing before. I, I, I think the thing about it is, while that's a first novel, it's not a first novel that was published lightly. It wasn't something that I wrote and then I published. It was something I wrote and then I rewrote and then I rewrote and then I rewrote and then I published. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. It went through a lengthy process of mm. getting So you essentially wrote it five times. Yeah. yeah. The fifth time. That's, was what you get for talk- yeah. <laughs> that's what you get for talking in class. It was pure lines, you know. Um, but yeah, like it's as a piece, it's a, it's something that was distilled, you know. It's it's not it's the exact opposite to improvisation. <laughs> you know, there's a level of contrivance there. You have to go through a process, you know. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think the fact that you had other, other, as you said, eyes on on people to help you look through it, like that's yeah. definitely really like it's oh, great. You, um, you miss things. You miss things. You, your eyes they, they get used to it. You know, you you, you, you can't do it on your own. You, you need other people. It's always a team effort with these things. Anything. Mm. Puts, but plus, like that, really goes to the like one of the central themes of your book to do with isolation and 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 communities and being no man's an island. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, except for islands, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. He folks. was actually a, he was actually a comic book character years ago, the Human Island. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It's a pretty oh. lonely story. <laughs> Great swimmer, though. <laughs> okay, folks, listen, we're def- again, the book is Clementine Lane, written by Owen Brunkert, and you'll find that on Amazon.co.uk. I'll bring it up on the screen again there. And you'll also find Owen Brunkert on Facebook or Twitter if you'd like to reach out to him and get in contact. And that's E-O-G-H-A-N. Brunkard, B-R-U-N-K-A-R-D. That's right, Owen, I think, isn't it? I got that. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, Our usual name. <laughs> okay, great. And listen, listen. If there's if, if anything comes up, you know, or if you're do, if you're doing any, you know, launches or anything like that, you're very welcome. There's an open invitation for you to come back anytime. I appreciate. It. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. It, oh, was, it was fun. Great questions as well. Like you know, it's, it's, it's actually it's really nice to be on a service that's dedicated to this kind of thing because you have to pay for it usually. Like you know. And yeah. have people actually read the stuff beforehand and have this research and the questions are pointed and you're actually having a good conversation, you know, it's it's not. Well, we're, we're interested, you know, we're really interested in, in our community as well. And you're part of the community and you're offering something to the community. So we're we're more than happy to help share that. I really appreciate it. Now, I enjoyed it. Like, it was a good conversation. Yeah, great. Well, look, you're welcome back anytime. Maybe maybe next time we'll talk about, we can talk about anything else. We, I'm sure there's lots we can talk about. Yeah. Uh, we, we could get into a few topics, all right. I actually would love to hear a bit more about the community work you've done. I mean, you're doing it for yeah. 12 years, so... You yeah, don't, there I must mean, be some insights there you can offer. Oh, yeah. Look, listen, I mean, we run a, a kind of, 
I work for the Fountain Resource Group here, and we're based down James Street in Dublin, southwest in the city. So we're all, all these after schools, youth projects. We're a fairly big setup, like senior citizens. You know, we're across the board in a different, different rank of different services, and we're ah, it's a lovely community, really. Like you know, it's just it's the same as anything, really. People say, "Oh, the inner city," they don't know. Like people here are absolutely lovely. It's a lovely setup, and actually, there's more of a sense of community here than in an awful lot of places, to be honest, which it's yeah. a great place to be, you know? Yeah, great. So, and if people are interested in that, there's, there is a website, I think, is there? Yeah, uh, www.frg.ie and it lists our services and what we're about. It's a little newswire as well that gives community news and stuff like that. Like, you know. Yeah, you, you have a publication, I think. Does that go out? How often is it? Or a newsletter? Uh, so no, it's actually a WordPress site. It's updated nearly every two weeks. Um, and it comes out with a different list of articles under different topics from culture and local news. Somebody wrote a review about Clamondon Lane. It was very favorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. Yeah, that's really? a big compliment. I got to tell folks at home. That's a big compliment from Chris. He loves his books and he loves his oh, reading. Yeah. So I would take that recommendation to heart and make sure you get your hands on a copy of Clementine Lane from Owen Brunkert. You'll find Clementine Lane on Amazon.co.uk, I think is probably the, the place to go and buy it. Mm. And you'll also find Owen Brunkert on Facebook. There's his Facebook page. And he's on Twitter and we highly recommend you go and check out his work. It really is some great stuff. Great. Well, look, I really, I'd really, I'd love to, we'd, 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 be, we'd be delighted to have you back to hear a bit more about that because community, like you said, it's so, so important that we get involved with our communities, you know, and look out for each other, ask each other, how are we doing? Ask ourselves, how are we doing as well while we're at it, you know, and when we can, Chris, what do we like to do? Help each other, help us all. That's it. Yep. Okay. Slang of all got the net. Oh, Bunkert. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me on. Slang of all. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. Projects Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. Welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And I am your co-host Shane McKay, 
And I'm the other co-host, Chris Versneed. How are you doing, Chris? Not too bad yourself. Not great today, Chris. No, you were saying earlier you had a bit of a flare-up going on at the moment. I do, and you know what, we didn't plan it this way, but it, as it turns out, we were going to talk about this subject of fatigue and ME-CFS today, and that's something I've been yeah. suffering with since... 2003, 2004, and I've lived, or I've, I've, I've learned uh, to live with it because I had to. Hmm. Especially and, with the old brain fog. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Probably picked up on, on, on that from the title of the show. Um, but you might also might have picked up on how sometimes I just forget what I'm in the middle of talking about. We don't all, oh, we don't, we don't, we, we have a light hand as far as editing. So you usually hmm. get to see everything mostly um warts and all warts and all and brain fog is something that i suffer for on a suffer from on a daily basis and mecfs is a neurological condition that is very complicated and not very well understood no and i mean it's only really recently that doctors have started to properly recognize it like yeah that's right you know it, it, up until recently it was in your head apparently that's what some people like to say, you know, um, and that's really not the case. Um, but it's, it is in the news right now, and it's very exciting. Okay, mm-hmm. what's, uh, what was in the independent.ie, the headline was Doctors Urged, and which is a newspaper in Ireland, um, Doctors yeah. Urged to Look Out for Chronic Fatigue Syndrome in Long COVID Patients. That's really big news. Uh, for yeah. any ME patients out there or anybody following this story because um, uh, ME CFS is co- co- comes under um, can be described as a, uh, one of the forms of post-viral syndrome which yeah, post-viral fatigue syndrome yeah, yeah. so um, yeah there's a few names for it but it, ultimately that's a description and what it's kind of getting at I mean, is there was the derogatory term, which some of the older listeners might be familiar with, which was yuppie flu, which is, um, it was a way of kind of, you know, pushing people aside who were suffering with ME and, you know. Burnout going, was the other. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I lost my train of thought there. Um, so yeah, the news in the oh, independent. Oh yeah, the, the, the news in the independent. That's one thing, and not only that, but someone I know is uh, just got a, a new job in a factory and um, operating kind of some serious machines. And health and safety is a big issue. So on the um, application form, yeah, not so much so the application form. I think he's got the job, but the health and safety kind of you know are you diabetic. Oh, the- the induction and yeah. yeah yeah all of that kind of stuff and um one of the one of the health questions was have you ever suffered with burnout fatigue me cfs or post viral syndrome so guys the fact that that's on an application job is massive yeah it's huge and That's there were, it. there was, um, there was some stuff, other stuff in the news, which I'm not going to get into until this coming month, because apparently that's when we're, when we're going to have a bit more. Um, I haven't signed an NDA, and that I'm not allowed to talk about it. But some people have, and we're being a bit sensitive on it. But there's lots of information out there on it, and it basically just has to do with, um, some of the guidelines that have been in place since 2007 on 
treatments that may or may not be useful to patients with ME. And there's a little bit of a debate going on about that. Yeah. Um, so we will probably cover that um, in due course. But to get back on to ME and just to kind of, I don't know, I suppose, Chris, I could kind of explain some of the symptoms a little bit. It can be, it's anything from restless sleep. Like I frequently wake up tired. I wake up with sore limbs. Generally, after an hour or two um, in the morning after waking up, I feel like I need to go lie down again. Right now, as we speak, I've got pains and aches in my limbs, in my back, in my abdomen. And it's known, it's one of the things MECFS has been known, uh, has been called is, um, and I lost it again. <laughs> Um, oh, I lost it, Chris. Help me out. Yeah. Um, I'm trying. I can't actually think what your next words are going to be at all. I know. Um, one of the other things it's been known as is uh, I don't know. the 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 problem is with um my condition, uh, brain fog is actually part of that as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh lord. So when we've missed that train. We'll have to. We'll have to call it. Yeah, so back to the symptoms. Um, Some people get headaches, sensitivity to light. I've Mm. recently started to suffer with our from arthritis. I lost the loose of my legs for two or two or three weeks. um, Four years ago, which poor circulation, poor circulation, dizziness, neurological pain in the nerves, like. the list goes on, like, doesn't it? It's quite complicated. And what's kind of interesting or unusual is that, and one of the reasons why the medical community has found it so difficult um, to deal with um, or to acknowledge, help, acknowledge or help patients. Um, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It does, it? but it's, mm. it's been a struggle for a lot of people, including myself. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's gone again. Sorry, guys. Um a little bit of a rough day today. Uh, it's understandable. Yeah. Um, oh, my Lord. <laughs> right. So there you go. That's brain fog, okay? Yeah, that's brain often, fog. That's brain that's fog. A... I'll often go to the pantry uh, looking for something, and right as I'm about to pick it up, I completely forget what I'm looking for. And all I ever do, I've gotten to the point now where when that happens, I just stop. I don't stress about it. I try and think if if I can remember. Sometimes it comes back to me, and when it doesn't, I just kind of go, "Okay, I'll um, I'll go and do something else." And when I remember, I'll yeah. go back to doing it. And that's yeah. like brain fog is something that it does. It's not unique to ME either. I mean, there's like Alzheimer's is something that um that brain fog comes with. Mm. Stress, anxiety, insomnia, brain fog will come with that. Certain medications you can get brain fog. Long COVID. Um, A form of post-viral syndrome is known for brain fog. Um, Anemia, Chris, you mentioned to me. Yeah. Um, Lack of certain vitamins and minerals will cause brain fog. Um, Like in some cases, people were lacking in B vitamins and were diagnosed with Alzheimer's. (laughs) You know. Wow. Um, Ireland Vader syndrome. Sorry, Ireland Mirror syndrome. Um, which is what I have in reaction to fluorescent lights actually causes confusion and forgetfulness and things. Um, oh, there's so many different conditions like that. Brain Head fog injuries is, is another one. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and fatigue um kind of comes with a lot of those conditions as well. In fact, hmm. um so as far again back to like for people who may may not have heard of um me or CFS or maybe didn't hear of it up until recently, um like I said, it, 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 it's not very well understood and it, it's complicated and fatigue is a really big far, part of it, but it's profound fatigue, okay? Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, like one or two hours after I get up out of bed in the morning and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm ready to go lie down again and I have to, I, I really have to kind of plan out my week and work yeah. out when am I going to get something done and when am I going to rest? And generally I can kind of manage that, but where it gets difficult like, is if something random comes up in the week that I hadn't planned on. Then I'm in trouble because my threshold, I, I, to, to be able to get things done, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always aware of my threshold. And if I go even a pinch over that or too close to it, that has a massive effect on the rest yeah. of the week. I've, I've seen you on days when you could hardly ever even stand up. Like... Yeah. 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 You know, and listen, guys, look, this is not a poor me kind of thing. I, no. This is something I'm, I'm happy to talk about. And, you know, because it's actually taken a long time for me to get to a point. Um, I mean, like I said, I was a, 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 a originally fell ill in 2003 and 2004. And it's only really the last year or two, maybe, that I felt kind of comfortable about talking about it in public and stuff. And, um, confidence has a lot to do with that and my confidence has gotten a lot better um and i think also what's helped is that the fact that doctors and uh carers are a lot more their 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 ears are a lot more open to this stuff now and and they are interested in it so that's also been a massive help so i'd really encourage anybody out there um to just try and stay, stay strong a little bit and it is tough when we have to be our own advocates um but they're starting to listen, guys. They really, really are. And it's about time, like. It's past the time, to be honest, yeah. you know. Oh, let's see, Chris, what else was on the list? I'd, I'd, I'd be lost without my notes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I have lists of lists. That's how I go. Yeah. yeah. So what did we say we're going to talk about? Oh, yeah, what's in the news? We already covered that. So, yeah, we just, yeah. that was a good, we kind of, how long are we in there, Chris? We're already 11 minutes in. Yeah. Um, like we said, we've got a guest coming in, um, a very interesting lady who's a wellness professional. And from what I can tell, she's very committed to helping people, which is why she's a brilliant guest mm. for Can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she does seem to do a lot of work in kind of helping people and moving along with, you know. Yeah. Like that's that's her profession as well. Yeah. <laughs> is, you know. And, 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 and I, I, I would imagine that... The struggles that she's had herself has just helped to amplify how well she's able to help people. And yeah. that's something, you know, like bad things happen, guys, okay? And, you know, but we make it worse by not trying to take some kind of good out of it. I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't practice altruism. I haven't got that skill down 100%, but yeah. I am interested in that topic and... I think we're going to be talking about balanced positivity. Actually, in fact, Chris um, is a big yeah, which is that's that's an important one, like because it's hugely important. You know, if if you're always if you're always trying to look up, you're never going to see what's in front of you. you know? Absolutely. <laughs> or if you're always looking down, you won't see where you're going. Yeah, that's it. So we have to we have to maintain some sort of mid level 
kind of vision. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I believe in the middle path, you know that, Chris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, as you do, my friend. Um, I'm sure, one, one half of the glass is full and the other half is empty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They call us a bit of a Laurel and Hardy, Chris, don't they? Yeah. Well, we have to build for it and all. We do, yeah. We're the blonde Laurel Laurel and Hardy. I don't look blonde. Well, I'm not less blonde than I used to be. I suppose you can see a tint of it in there. But how I look is... This is not how I really look, guys. This is like under lights and stuff. My hair is not really that colour. Like, it's a lot blonde. It's gone darker, though. It has gone darker. Same here. Although I'm going fairly grey these days. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going for the Gandalf I'm going grey as well, man. Can't see it now, but I am. Yeah. I I can't wait for it. I'm going to go around in a robe... (laughs) big stick telling people they can't pass like be brilliant yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah back to me like it's known as the invisible illness and I have times that I look I don't know Chris how do I look today you look a bit washed out today you know yeah but you, I don't yeah. look like I have you don't a, look I don't look no, like my, not... I might have a chronic illness that's quite no. serious no, and no. that's a big thing as well as the invisible disabilities. Like um, I have friends who have their dis- have their disabled pass in their car, and constantly get accused of like using someone else's pass. Or well, isn't it true, Chris, that most disabilities are invisible? Yeah, yeah. So, guys, that's something to bear in mind. You know, um, everyone, whether you you know someone with a disability or not, chances are you do know someone with a disability. You just might not know they have it. And whether yeah. they have it or not, it doesn't like we should just be kind to each other anyway. Aside from oh, that, yeah. aside from that, you know, there's 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 no there's no advantage to being mean, like, yeah, exactly. You know, we should all hold the door for each other. Absolutely, yeah. When we can, yeah. yeah. So yeah, back to our lovely guest coming on later. She's an absolute star, and I can't wait to get chatting with her more. And mm. she's got a lot of special insights to share and like we said she's a writer she's got a blog and um, what else did you see on the blog chris oh there was so much on the blog it was really really interesting like um she was mentioning crafts and because she's into crafts as well um oh she was talking about like her own coping mechanisms for dealing with emmy um oh it was, it was it was there's there's a lot of blog posts and i read through most of them but um, like trying to remember specifics is hard. I just remember the overall, like it was really insightful and inspiring. You sounded quite inspired to me, yeah. Chris, after you read. Oh that. yeah, it was yeah. Um, like I was getting super excited about having the chat where you know. Some of it's and a bit it, sad as well, but you know, guys, yeah. like I said recently, it's real life, and for me, her story is one of perseverance hmm. and and rising above a struggle. That's it. Um, sure, I have a I have a bit of a thing from someone here. We're going to be doing some poetry reading in a bit, and uh, I'm just going to go for one of his quotes here. So you have my notes. Do you want to well. say who he is, Chris? Yeah, Christy Brown. Yeah, very famous. A very famous kind poet of character in, in Irish. from Ireland. Um, a lot of people in Ireland would have heard of him. People maybe abroad, maybe not so much. There was a really famous movie called My Left Foot, which was made from a book he wrote literally with his foot because yeah. he had cerebral palsy and his left foot was the one limb he actually had. Uh, Yusuf. Yusuf, yeah. Yeah. Pity is the sublimation of envy 
pity in the face of another self-triumph over adversity. And that's a quote from Christy Brown. Yeah, it says a lot, really, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah, like this is kind of something we're going to get into a little bit more. Like a point me and Chris hit on was that with the work we do, I can, you know, whether somebody has a disability or not, we like to focus first on the art or yeah. the content or the information, then the mm. talent and then the person. Yeah. Okay. Now, all those things kind of go together, but that's the order we kind of taught. No, that's, that's, that's kind of an appropriate way uh, to approach uh, it. Yeah, I like to look at it that they're not disabled artists. They're artists with a disability. Yeah, you know? that's it. And uh, like some 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 of the Christy Brown stuff is quite moving, quite personal as well to him. Like you mm. know, and it's re- well worth looking out out for the books. They're generally available in actually tourist shops, <laughs> but you'll find them in the likes of uh, Dubry Books and you know. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna cover that, guys. So stay tuned for that. And mm. uh, yeah, sorry for not giving out this lady's name. Just stay tuned, guys. Okay, um, yeah. it'll probably be going out next week, may, maybe the week after. We're not really sure. There's a lot coming up, and yeah, we've we've a lot to kind of get in order. But that's it for today, guys. Pretty much, I think. Chris, anything else you kind yeah. of want on your mind that you might want to add? No, I think we covered everything now. I'll just Despite... say that Chris has been. Um, has known me before I fell ill, Ill with MECFS, yeah. and effective... I have seen the change and the you know the struggle. Yeah, so he's quite in tune with that, and he's been a huge support to me actually um, throughout that. So thanks, Chris. Um, and you know, just, just don't mention it. Like, even though we're a bit grey today, you'll you'll make me blush. You will. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, man, you're kind of got a permanent blush going on at the moment. <laughs> yeah that's that's just my skin <laughs> uh, there's some music coming in yeah well we best head yeah we best head all this all the we, we, we bit of a Sisyphus task going on at the moment you know hey okay dokie guys much love keep well and uh, anybody want to get in touch that's the website up there canprojects.info oh sorry canprojects.info at gmail.com if anything from today uh, caught your interest, please feel very welcome to send us messages, links, ideas. Everybody's very welcome. Yes. Slam. Slam. <laughs> one we've really been looking forward to a great book well, it's a fictional book but it feels like real Dublin it feels like a real place it's got like a quintessential Irish sense of humour behind it but it is also kind of sad it has a lot of emotion kind of it's like a roller coaster, really one of the best books I've read in a long time so I think I think mm. without further ado we're going to bring Owen Brunkers it's really about four people trying to deal with isolation in various terms against the backdrop of modern society and gentrification of an area. The way things are now, modern Ireland, basically. It's not a first novel that was published lightly. It wasn't something that I wrote and then I published. It was something I wrote and then I rewrote and then I rewrote and then I rewrote and then I, and then I published. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. 
I t- try and take the narrative line of just try and make it as funny as possible, but at the same time, not shying away from the issues as I, I've seen them and I've known them. As an approach to writing means that you'll never really get a grip of what it allows for twists and turns because the writer himself doesn't know what's going to happen next. We're going to be back with more from Owen Brunkert about his book Clementine Lane, which we highly, highly recommend you check out. You'll find it on Amazon. Modern Ireland is great from so many different aspects, considering what went before and how oppressive it could be. But there's other things that it's missing and it's that sense of community. Do you have a good social life? Oh, yeah, look, look at all these friends groups, you know, and you can hold the phone. It shouldn't be just a self-contained package. It should be like the whole book is an opportunity to have fun with it. And that's it for tonight, folks. Happy weekend. Happy Friday. And thanks for hanging around. And you're all very welcome here at the Cam Project. And we'll be back next week. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Stories and classic inspiring story or material to share that's helpful. Week after next, we've got some great stuff coming up. Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20 plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other and help us all. Radio show host. And then after that, the following week, it's Space Week, and we got really special stuff lined up for that. So that's about as much as we're giving away right now. Uh, there'll be some surprise things happening over there on Twitch. Everybody, hi on Spooker.com. Hi over there on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, and Facebook, and all those other places. So, happy weekend, everybody, and please do, if you can, help each other, help us out. social conscience do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people are you an expert on culture arts nature or wellness if the-